This episode is brought to you by Helix Sleep. Helix Sleep is a premium mattress brand that provides tailored mattresses based on your sleep preferences. Their lineup includes 14 unique mattresses, including a collection of luxury models, a mattress for big and tall sleepers, that's not me, and even a mattress made specifically for kids. They have models with memory foam layers to provide optimal pressure relief if you sleep on your side, as I often do and did last night on one of their beds. Models with more responsive foam to cradle your body for essential support in stomach and back sleeping positions and on and on. They have you covered. So how will you know which Helix mattress works best for you and your body? Take the Helix Sleep Quiz at helixsleep.com slash Tim and find your perfect mattress in less than two minutes. Personally, for the last few years, I've been sleeping on a Helix Midnight Luxe mattress. I also have one of those in the guest bedroom, and feedback from friends has always been fantastic. They frequently say it's the best night of sleep they've had in ages. It's something they comment on without any prompting from me whatsoever. Helix mattresses are American-made and come with a 10- or 15-year warranty, depending on the model. Your mattress will be shipped straight to your door, free of charge. And there's no better way to test out a new mattress than by sleeping on it in your own home. That's why they offer a 100-night risk-free trial. If you decide it's not the best fit, you're welcome to return it for a full refund. Helix has been awarded number one mattress by both GQ and Wired magazines. And now Helix has harnessed years of extensive mattress expertise to bring you a truly elevated sleep experience. Their newest collection of mattresses called Helix Elite includes six different mattress models, each tailored for specific sleep positions and firmness preferences. So you can get exactly what your body needs. Each Helix Elite mattress comes with an extra layer of foam for pressure relief and thousands of extra micro coils for best in class support and durability. Every Helix Elite mattress also comes with a 15-year manufacturer's warranty and the same 100-night trial as the rest of Helix's mattresses. Helix is now running their Labor Day sale, which you can take advantage of. Until September 10th, get 25% off on all mattress orders plus two free pillows. That is very significant savings. That's 25 off because of their Labor Day sale. So check it out. Go to helixsleep.com slash Tim. One more time, Helix, H-E-L-I-X, sleep.com slash Tim. With Helix, better sleep starts now. This episode is brought to you by Protex Rest Supplement, a new take on getting deeper and more restorative sleep. I was introduced to this by former Navy SEAL Nick Norris, who has been on this podcast. And as a mutual friend of ours put it to me, it's very annoying that Nick has no physical weaknesses. This is somebody who can climb like a spider. He has incredible abilities as a rock climber. He is incredibly strong and can also run ultra marathons. It's quite something to behold. And this is one of the tools that he uses. So Protects Rest Supplement helps provide consistent restful sleep without any habit-forming ingredients or groggy side effects. Simply add it to your last glass of water before bed and it goes to work. So I tried this after I mentioned to Nick that I was avoiding melatonin due to next day sluggishness and its possible effects on testicular function. So I was trying to wean myself off of things like that. This rest cocktail has worked wonders and I've made it part of my sleep toolkit. It's literally on a counter about 20 feet from where I'm recording this right now. Pro tip number one, if you have trouble opening the packets, just use scissors. Don't make it hard. Pro tip number two, mix the packets with water. Do not skip that step and chug it alone. <laughs> I've learned from experience. Rest has no added sugars, artificial sweeteners, or artificial ingredients. Protect is veteran-owned, and they make all of their products right here in the USA. Visit protect.com slash Tim to buy Protect Rest 
and you will get a free bottle of Clarity with your order. Clarity is a nootropic mushroom blend of lion's mane, reishi, cordyceps, and turkey tail designed to support brain function and mental performance. I have not personally tested Clarity yet, but I'm excited to give it a shot. And check it out. That's protect, that's P-R-O-T-E-K-T dot com slash Tim for a free bottle of Clarity with your purchase of Protect Rest. One more time, P-R-O-T-E-K-T dot com slash Tim. Optimal minimal. At this altitude, I can run flat out for a half mile before my hands start shaking. Can I answer your personal question? Now what is in the broken time? What if I did the opposite? I'm a cybernetic organism, living tissue over metal endoskeleton. Hello, boys and girls, ladies and germs. This is Tim Ferriss. Welcome to another episode of The Tim Ferriss Show, where my job is to interview and deconstruct world-class performers. I get a two-for-one. In this episode, I have brothers David Lieberman and Daniel, or Daniel Lieberman, They're both entrepreneurs and investors, one-of-a-kind entrepreneurs and investors with a close partnership spanning 16 years. They gained valuable experience at Snap, contributing to projects involving avatars, Bitmoji, animation, and product operations. They are currently based in LA, where their primary focus is on building product science, a service dedicated to optimizing mobile apps. I'm going to pause here and just say there's a lot more to this story and this conversation than the bio I am reading. We get into crossbows. We get into Russian mobsters. We get into some of the craziest stories, honestly, I think I have ever heard. So take everything I'm saying as just a preview of one dimension of 17 dimensions that we will share. Moving on, the Lieberman brothers have established the Lieberman's company, referred to as a people company, through their commitment to the Founders Pledge. They've allocated all future earnings and economic value for the next three decades to Lieberman's Co., including founder shares of product science and potential returns from future investments. Some of you may recognize the Lieberman brothers from a fascinating profile in The New Yorker on selling shares in yourself. What might that look like? What can that look like? What might it look like to invest in other people? for their future earnings, et cetera. They have a lot of wild ideas, a lot of great ideas. And you can find them online at Liebermans.co. That's spelled L-I-B-E-R-M-A-N-S, Liebermans.co. You can find them on Instagram at Liebermans, so L-I-B-E-R-M-A-N-S. And there's a lot in the show notes. So there's going to be a lot in the show notes here. So be sure to check out the links after the episode at tim.blog slash podcast. And without further ado, please enjoy this very wide-ranging conversation with none other than the very one-of-a-kind, unique Lieberman brothers. Gentlemen, David, Daniel, if I'm getting that right, nice to see you again. Pleasure to see you. So where did you grow up and what did childhood look like? So the two of us were born in Moscow, still Soviet Union at that time to a family of uh, the very known neuroscientists, biophysicists, who, like the family were sort of like upper middle class for the Soviet uh, measure. But as soon as the Soviet Union collapsed, with the Soviet Union, the family collapsed to the below poverty type of situation because our dad was born in 1925. So in uh, 1990, he was uh, pretty old already and uh, didn't didn't have a chance to adapt to the new reality. 
He always, and it was six of us. Uh, it was six elementary, of us kids, school. elementary school kids. So a complicated situation. Both of parents had to continue the work as they wanted actually to finalize and finish the work of their life. And at the same time, somehow survive and feed kids and like get some clothes for us and stuff. And it's like six of us, uh, one year apart. Our mom was, mom. she was busy, busy, busy with making her breakthrough works in how neurons works and the signaling system in the neurons. At the same time, having six of us in, in, in eight years, less than in eight years. How does any human do that? So let alone a mom, you know, not to get us into all these confusing gender waters, but let's just say for the time being, mom, primary caregiver, would that be fair to say? Yes. Yes. So how did she manage both the scientific exploration with this groundbreaking work and six kids? I can barely manage one dog as they and always <laughs> what qualifies as my job. So how um, did she do that? I think that after the fourth one, we kind of a little bit managed ourselves. Right, right. Yeah. <laughs> but still, it's not uh, the answer or the question. No, there was a grandma and grandpa from time to time. So from time to time, they would uh, drop half of us at the grandpa and grandma's place and then took the half of us with them to the laboratory. That's how we were spend a lot of time lot, uh, surrounded by the fish and snails. <laughs> uh, you know, we were so, like we were surrounded by all this equipment. Uh, Lasers, you know, like, they, they got first uh, PCs uh, much earlier than anyone else. That's why, like, we also were quite excited about that. And I think that in general they were super passionate about, about work. their work. That's what we and definitely picked from our parents and uh, about each other. So, um, so there were yes. six of us. It's a full team. Yeah, it's a full soccer team. So you have lots of excitement. Maybe lots of chaos. You have goldfish, snail, grandparents, lasers. Sounds like a pretty awesome setup for curious kids. <laughs> for curious kids. Honestly. <laughs> and what did you pick up on intellectually as a way of thinking from your parents? And I ask that because I know both of you, for instance, and I'm not trying to lead with this question, but pay a lot of attention to data. You're sort of geeks for parsing the data, whether it's to like refine how you think about or identify problems and then also how you might solve problems. What did you observe in your parents or pick up from them when it came to how they thought about things? Now that you said that, I realized that our parents were doing those experiments, which required them years of repeating, 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 repeating the same stuff, like trying to get data, which would make sense on top of uh, their hypothesis of how everything works. So I guess we've been surrounded by the piles of papers with just numbers. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> Literally, I remember this. Uh, you know, like this, how, how was it, what called uh, the cards? The perfect cards. Like, cards. Oh, uh, like the, the punch cards. The punch cards, yes, yeah, yes yeah, the yeah. punch cards. Like everywhere, the punch cards. Before the PC was there, there were like this huge type recording machines with all this data as well. But what's interesting, both of them was always challenging the status quo of the current understanding of science. So if just someone claims something and you cannot really prove it for yourself with uh, data, probably something is missing and you need to dig deeper. And that's think. how they lived and they had their own discussions with everyone around. And we sort of picked it up. As we were growing already, like, I don't know, 15-ish years old, our dad was even older. So he needed someone to escort him to the conferences and like meetings of scientists 
just basically like it's uh, Moscow in winter and the roads are icy, I don't know, five, six months a year, like something like, something like this. So he needed someone to f- basically help him get there. And being there all the time, we saw his conversations with the rest of the scientific community in, the, in his institute as they were just like laughing out of nowhere. I mean, just like, like, oh yeah, of course. Like again, Lieberman is talking about the quantum nature of, of the consciousness, blah, 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 something like that. And we were like looking at this and it's like, why he has some ideas and proofs. So it was sort of uh, a resistance, resistance to the rest of the world. We felt his resistance and we like were challenged with this as well. Like, oh, we can approve everyone. <laughs> Lieberman's against the world. Lieberman's against the world. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we're going to leapfrog from that. As far as a, a next logical place, I mean, I like hopping around because I see things on paper, I find certain things exciting to talk about, and then we can fill in the gaps. So I'm just going to actually answer my own question, and I'm going to take you <laughs> to around, and then we can fill in the gaps as we go. So you're around 18 to 19 years old, and you're presenting to Russian parliament. What are you presenting about and how is the reception? Um, yeah, so a little bit of background. So sure. uh, after Soviet Union collapsed, the entire population of the country everyone lost their savings in the banks like twice during the decade. So it was a quite harsh time for everyone, and for us it was uh, strange. really strange. Like we weren't able to understand how with all the modern technologies, with computers, and etc., how it's all, like how all this corruption in how it's even possible. Uh, because definitely, uh, yeah. yes, uh, definitely some technologies should be there, should be there to solve these problems. We had internet pretty early and we were hackers. I mean, it was at that time of, of the internet era when everything was possible. (laughs) Access to everything was possible. Uh, So at that moment, we read lots of uh, the hackers' manifestos and mm -hmm. some like libertarian ideas wandering around the internet. And we saw all these ideas of uh, decentralized type of uh, data storage, which can be bulletproof from... Various attacks or... Attacks and uh, modifications, like falsifications. Right, it's resilient against falsification. Yes, resilient against falsification, like a blockchain type of ideas before Satoshi actually released his uh, first paper on the blockchain, which was never the one word, it was uh, like block, like chain of blocks. But BitTorrents and other other types of decentralized storages existed even before. Ideas about this were circulating over the internet. So with this combination of those ideas we came up to a solution, as we sought, for eradicating corruption in Russia to make all of the governmental expenses completely transparent. Stored on the people's and machines. stored in the people's machines, so that no, none of the uh, corrupt officials can actually even do anything with, with the data. So we are presenting this idea, and pretty soon, when people realize what we are talking about, they basically ask us to go out. Just like, like shut down the mic. Shut down the mic. He's like, this, 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 the meeting is over. Thank you so much. Sorry, like, we're having some technical difficulties. <laughs> so you can step exactly. off the stage. And then the guy who was actually... Who invited us. In, who invited us. He was uh, some sort of a deputy for the head of the party at the time. At the time, there was mul- multiple parties, like United Russia. But this guy came... Uh, like Approached us. Approached us in the corridor saying, boys, 
I can see you are very smart. And all these ideas are just brilliant. But stop talking about this bullshit. Otherwise, someone will kill you. No, 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 not, not us. Like, we're good guys. But there are bad people who are making lots of money. And this is against what they want. <laughs> okay. So now, at that point, do you pretty immediately pivot to something else? Pretty immediately, we realize that what we need to pivot into is grassrooting those ideas instead of trying to make them uh, top to bottom approach. It, it's quite instead of being quite the, soon, uh, the missionaries yeah. of anti-corruption. Yes, yes distribute right. the risk a bit. <laughs> yes, uh, no, it's it's, it's like to be quite clear is that people in the government are not those people who really can adapt those ideas. Um, it was another story to that that in a week. After that, uh, they actually invited us again to to come. And like we came in, and they asked us to work on a project. And we said, "Well, like, what is a project?" And said, "Oh, you mentioned something about decentralization and how decentralization can be anonymous at the same time. Can you create an anonymous HR agency which will sell seats in government?" <laughs> and we're like, and "Wait, like, what?" <laughs> He's like, "Yes, yes, yes." So. Like, imagine people who are actually making lots of money and who's capable of paying lots of money for a seat in the government, they are people who, like, business... They manage better than they us. They manage better, <laughs> like, they can manage stuff better than us, so who, like, just from the street. Just just happen to be here just by chance because someone was, like, a friend of someone. So if we actually invite people who did something in business and have money to pay for the position in government, they can do a better job for the country. And so, our first reaction was, like... Do Wait, you really have a price, price list, list for that? He's like, yes, 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 for sure. Like, can you give us an example? And the guy was like, Deputy Minister of Finance was half a million dollar, and Minister of uh, Healthcare, I uh, know, Ecology, Ecology was three million dollars. The question was immediately, Why? Ecology? No, no one, one gives a shit about ecology in Russia. What? He's like, exactly. That's how. The person who will take the position will have a return on investment pretty they much. They use all this mo like fancy words. They'll get their money back pretty much in a year on bribes. <laughs> so we quite soon realized that uh, they they are. You're like, well, I well, appreciate the invitation. Well, appreciate the invitation. Never call us again. Yeah. Thank you. That Goodbye. was our reaction. <laughs> um, but yes, that was a moment when we decided to pivot uh, to building our own businesses and uh, making our resources, own money, gathering uh, resources, and then building type of uh, technologies ourselves. And then you can buy the Ministry of Ecology. Yeah. <laughs> one day, one day. <laughs> <laughs> or we can like do the revolution or something like yeah. that. Now uh, at that point, while you're observing all of this, and it's imprinting your young minds, are you thinking eventually we are going to want to build businesses somewhere else? Or did you anticipate that you would be building in Russia for the foreseeable future? How are you thinking about things at that point? For us, somehow, at this particular moment, it was uh, still uh, unreachable, uh, the mm -hmm. idea that we can fly somewhere and build right. businesses there. Mm -hmm. Like, it, it's only years after that we start to be more confident in our abilities and start to think about that. It but, was uh, miserable. Like, the first time we flew to United States, just on our own, miserable experience. Very low level, like poor level of English, no understanding whatsoever what the country looks like and what's going on. We're in trying there. to raise investment. We were trying like, to raise investment. Start of miserable. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That sounds like a hard slog of a first trip. Yeah. Yes. Exactly. <laughs> okay, so so at the time then, you're just focused on building businesses, and what type of business were you building at that point? We had like ideas 
2001, even before that, our like, first company was an ISP, Internet Service Provider. We wanted to have a good internet connection, and home. it was super unaffordable, like $5,000 to connect your apartment. Wow. So, like, that sounds um, very unreachable for most people. Super unreachable for us Especially well. for the family of eight people who was making like a couple hundred dollars a month for the household. It was unreachable. So at some point we realized that if we want to have such level of uh, internet at our own apartment, what we can do, we can go through all of the neighbors. And it was like, what, 1600 apartments in the small district? Small district. Yeah. Like, it's quite like dense. The neighborhood. The neighborhood. Yeah. Like a dense neighborhood of uh, Novich, Romashkin, Moscow. And uh, we literally rang all the doorbells. And we're at, like, the question was like, do you have a computer? If the answer was yes, do you know what internet is? If the answer was no, like, okay, let us explain you. Let's have some tea. And we're literally sneaking into people's apartment and starting to explain them what they are losing by not having internet already connected to their computer. So we pre-sold a couple hundred, we couple uh, hundred of, uh, contracts. And with that, we were like, okay, we can now go to the bank, get a, how's it called? A loan. A consumer loan, mm -hmm. just like a basically consumer loan. And we use the money to buy all the equipment, to buy the cable, like the fiber. Yeah, fiber optic cable. Fiber optic cable. And basically connect all these households and people paid and we covered the loan pretty fast. Like it still, it still was a quite challenging project. So yeah. I'm wondering just what you're buying with the loans. So you're buying like servers, sticking them in a bathroom or like how did, how is yeah. it being connected to the existing infrastructure? First, we needed to basically someone to bring the cable in. It was the most expensive uh, part of the operation. Like digging trenches. Like digging trenches. So we hired, like, we hired yeah. the engineering team. We were lucky because uh, the largest um, hub, communication hub for the Moscow internet was basically two kilometers away from us. That's great luck. It's a great luck. And we, we, because our parents from science, we were in the part of Moscow uh, where, where most lots of the scientists, scientists were in the uh, universities were there as well. And that's why internet first emerged at this part. So we hired these people, the engineering team to bring the cable and then by night mostly, we were connecting 20-story buildings to each other by shooting the cable using the uh, athletic air ball. No, it just... Oh, uh, like a crossbow? Local, crossbow, yeah, yes. yeah, yeah crossbow. Yes. <laughs> it just local officials, local officials, they were bribed by the bigger player and they didn't allow us to actually... They wouldn't give get, us the keys. Uh, get the... into the, the, to the roofs and to properly... Yeah, uh, competitive com competition. Competition yeah. was there, even yeah. though we had the license, license and by law they couldn't prohibit us to do this, but, but they were like not allowing us. That's why at night we would sneak onto the roof, like pretty dangerous operation of getting onto the roof, even without having an access through the door. And then from the roof to the roof, we basically were like putting these cables uh, <laughs> on our own, times. using the crossbows, <laughs> shooting from one roof to another roof. Um, this company uh, was this then one? acquired by a bigger player. There was a um, significant consolidation on the market. Between the Ninja crossbow expansion and the acquisition, how long did that take? Two years. like Two, two years. years yeah. All right, moving fast. Then later on, we realized that what we actually need to do is supercomputing. Like we were like, we are smart in mathematics. We can write algorithms. And this is something like we foreseen the future of cloud computing using like machines in internet to parallelize, compute, 
This was our idea originally. Then we realized that it's impossible to do in Russia type of the business. And we decided that what we can do, we can start building games. Now, before you go on, was the computer <laughs> science and like whatever coding experience you had, was that self-taught? Was it school? Was it parents? Uh, our college degree is computer science. But in reality, in uh, Russia at this moment, no one will really teach you properly computer science because your teachers would know less than you, you would. If you have yeah. interne uh, internet. If you're motivated. If you're yes. motivated. So we were lucky. Because of our parents were scientists, we got PCs at our home much earlier than most of our peers. We got internet in our home much earlier than most of our peers. And we were super excited about this we technology. Were curious and, uh, how to say, naughty. So we would break <laughs> the computers all the time and we had to fix them all the time for the parents to continue the work. And that's how we actually learned how to... Like, we built our first uh, website to, for our guilt in online, online game games, like, like Ultima Online. online. <laughs> and, Great uh, choice. <laughs> curious and naughty. That can be the name of your curious autobiography. <laughs> <laughs> the life and times of the Lieberman. <laughs> okay, so you have the consolidation, and then you decide to focus on games after that. And what form did that take? We, we played online, Ultima Online. We were super excited about this type of games. We thought that this is a revolution, because people just hang out there. There is no like aim, or you don't need to just kill all the enemies. It's just people hang out Sandbox. There. You Sandbox, can, you can yeah. have a marriage there, build a house. Yeah, like like Second Roblox, Life type and of like, like, like Second Life, Instead yeah. of Doom. Um, right. so, so we, we were very excited about this, but had to play only overnight because of uh, dial-up connection, and the phone was uh, for everyone in the apartment, for us at night. That's why we actually wanted the, the better internet all the time. And that's how the ISP started. Um, so then when we decided to build such game, at that moment, this idea was really not popular. You even can find some quotes from CEO of um, Electronic Arts who would say like online games is just a niche market. No it one never play online games and, and all this stuff. He actually officially admitted he was wrong. Um, so <laughs> well, that's very, I mean, that's very, uh, I suppose, honest. Honest. Yeah. A lot he, of people don't own those like, things. Yeah, he, was like, he was like, he was super cool in this. He was like, I said that, I was wrong. Like, now we are in the game. Um, so, <laughs> and we tried to launch several, um, one time, failed our own uh, spend, savings. Spend uh, all of our own savings. Without um, uh, soon. But then World of Warcraft was released, and we were the only ones who were for years, for trying, years to trying to raise money for such type of the project. And that's and how we, we got point, all that attention in this moment, and uh, we raised our first. Uh, so money. World of Warcraft comes out; it proves it's a proof of concept. Yes, for what you are also trying to pursue not, not, in a way. Not only proof of concept; it was the first game ever netting one billion dollar of profit a year. I think people outside of games also today do not realize how big the numbers are. Like the opening weekend for the new Call of Duty compared to like every Hollywood blockbuster for a six-month period or something like that. Yes, the numbers yes. are astronomical. This market is really for years larger than uh, the, the movie, movie market. <laughs> yeah, But... 15 years ago, it, it, not, it wasn't not as obvious. Really, yes, but uh, it was already obvious that it can make lots of money. So we were able to convince some of the like investors. <laughs> investors yes. tend to like that. Um, yes. in, um, 
and we got a lot of attention, grew pretty fast to 150, 200 employees in different times. But then uh, 2008 crisis came and just it's all. And like, we were not ready. I mean, World of Warcraft, it took Blizzard, the top game development studio in the world. That what we didn't realize when we started. It took them like six five, years, six uh, years to build the game complicated with, with an army, stuff. with an army and unlimited resources. And us, we were like, we can do it with like a couple million dollars. Okay, we were miserable in this, <laughs> in this case. But honestly, in this experience, we realize that we can be cool in developing, sort of uh, hacking our way through the challenges. Inventing new stuff, inventing how we can build and new, new type of new type processes, of processes and technologies, and etc. And even though we bankrupt the company in two thousand nine, I remember March two thousand nine, I had to fire everyone, like one hundred and fifty people in one day. Sounds fun. Super fun. <laughs> the most challenging. The most challenging experience of our life. Oh, of our life. Um, and then three, four months later, we already started an animation studio and used all of the ideas which came to our mind during this period, like, we can actually do this and this and that. We wouldn't do this in the games, but we can do this in the animation process. So and you're it, able to take things from the failed gaming studio and transfer them over into the... In terms of experience. In terms of experience. Like mostly the experience learned. of, like, le lesson was learned. We knew how to do stuff better as we were progressing from knowing nothing when we started to basically having like a pretty sophisticated production process, we immediately reinvented the animation process. So we basically took the guy who was experienced in producing 3D graphics and was like, okay, why don't we change it all? Why don't we take what you know and then try to figure out how to make it much more efficient? How did you decide on that? It was a super challenging time. The company was bankrupt. By that time, we actually already were quite successful in different stuff. Already had Started. a venture, uh, venture firm, firm, raised $30 million to the venture firm. But this venture firm was took over. Uh, by, by our investors of the game games. studio. Um, so, so it's like <laughs> it's Russian, Russian, type of Russian style. Like, Russian uh, style. Like <laughs> people with, uh, with the guns on the cars. Literally people and like, on the, like, the security people from the persons arrived to the office, took us in the like black cars, driving us to the underground of the office building in the middle of Moscow. So and then all, threatening us that they will kill us and our family because they know where everyone lives unless we'll return the money. So this type of business experience. <laughs> this type of business experience. Um, Hardline, so, strict investors. In that moment, we knew that we need to, with a new project, uh, we need to do something fast because we still had some obligations in place, which we just fired because we haven't paid the salary for the last month. Okay, right. Um, so you had outstanding debt yes, to yes, the employees. The outstanding debt was like half a million dollars. Um, so and we, we were still living with our parents. Um, so <laughs> we knew that uh, that we don't want to have investors anymore. And they see like all this experience which we had, we wanted to... So something which can generate cash right away, not like enough apartment for... building basements. You, yes. That was enough. A friend of ours, who is a famous actress in Russia, she told the CEO, the president of um, Channel One, which is like NBC or Russia, like the largest network, yeah, or, or like one of the BBC channels in yeah, the yeah, UK. In the UK, exactly, ago. exactly. That so we can do magic he, with. She uh, told him that we can do magic with, with the graphics. computer graphics. How did you become friends with the actress? Friends of friends introduced us, and like we basically become super cool friends. We were like 
writing scripts together for the future movies and stuff. So like, in reality, I'm not sure that she really knew that we can do that. What, uh, what this, but uh, what, she was very confident but, but in she selling she knew it. that we, we fixed her internet. Uh, <laughs> many times. <laughs> many times. <laughs> Goes a long way, keeping so, somebody on yes. Yes, uh, So she sells this head of the, you know, the, this primary channel that you guys can do. You yeah. can work magic with We work magic graphics. with graphics. And, he and had we the, actually were doing magic with graphics, he, but for games. And he wanted to create a political satire show, which would be based on the last week events. Which is impossible. Animation usual production cycle is uh, nine to twelve months. South uh, Park is actually like three, four months, but then they leave this uh, several minutes for something topical, which they can produce over a couple of weeks right before the episode is released. Like they're doing this. Trick. And that's South Park. They're the fastest. They're the, the fastest. fastest. Exactly. Um, and we invented the production uh, process, which allowed us to produce uh, half-hour animated show, three D graphics in one week. How did you do that? The interesting part was we just basically disassembled the entire process on smaller pieces and parallelized them. This idea of decentralization and parallelization was like, we couldn't leave it. So rather than an assembly line type of production, you're like, how many of these can we have running in, in parallel? parallel? And we found out Were that you able to borrow resources from the channel to work on those parallels? No, no. we actually, at the time, were able to borrow resources from IBM. Okay, how's that work? A friend of ours <laughs> was the president of IBM of, of Russia. And we agreed that and they would be a DJ in the club. He was during the we weekends. That's how we knew the guy. <laughs> so during the Moral during of the, the story, weekends, you never know who's DJing at the club. Make exactly. friends. The DJ DJing at night and the, like during the weekends and then being in a suit. And in a suit, like a serious <laughs> president of IBM during the weekdays. That's crazy. That's All crazy. Right. And the guy was like I fucking love what you're doing. So I'm sorry, can I say this? Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> and like, he was like, yes, I'll give you the equipment. And they gave us like a, I don't know, what was it? Uh, it was around like a million uh, dollars worth of servers. Of servers. With the idea that they will give us this equipment, not permanently, but for some time for free. In exchange that IBM will use the fact that the show was created with The IBM. most innovative show was created but using then, IBM equipment. They gave yeah. us equipment, but IBM decided that it's too political. They had office And IBM. they never <laughs> even used it. Because the show was political satire in Russia. So the headquarter in the United States was like, no, no, no. We don't That does not our... sound low risk. <laughs> like, yes, <laughs> they allowed us to use they allowed us to use the equipment but never put the logger in there. Okay, so they allow you to use the equipment, and then was the president just like, look, we're going to forget it's there for a while, you guys can use it? Yes, <laughs> yes, it wow. was exactly like Very that. Very helpful so we, DJ. We, we, made the, we made the first season using that equipment. The Channel One paid us like $3 million for the first season. That's, that and mean, with that, that money, we were able to buy all the equipment because we needed. Because you owed like half a million to the employees. Yes, it was advance payment. So we came to Channel One and said, like, we need advance payment. They're like, why? It was like the processes. And we basically paid the debts. Wow. Okay. Okay. So what happens then? You have this parallel processing that's working with your <laughs> semi-permanently borrowed IBM machines from the DJ. You make $3 million. You, you manage to negotiate prepayment. So you satisfy your outstanding debts to paying the ex-employees. And then what? This was the first time when uh, we actually start to earn enough of our own funds and we return to first we return to our 
ideas. Like ideas that we need to think about uh, how to fight the corruption, how to fight the cor mm. fight the corruption. What type of technologies can be created to? Were you guys not afraid? Honestly, the, the part of us not being afraid probably somehow was related to our dad was never afraid of uh, whoever was challenging him. But at the same time, back in 2000, as we finished the school, we knew that if we have all these ideas of changing the world, it's going to be impossible if we just stay home, play computer games and stuff. So we decided that we would go to some business trainings, personal uh, development trainings, fear trainings. We started challenging ourselves in developing ourselves. And by 2005, we spent like four years developing our own internal equanimity. So let's, well, let's <laughs> talk about this equanimity for a second, because this is super important. And it's sort of the enabler or the handicapper, the lack of it being a handicapper in so many different capacities. And I would say a lot of the people listening to this are going to be from the US. And fortunately for them, they've never had the experience of being under a political regime where people disappear. But I've spent a lot of time in or South poisoned. America. Or poisoned. or poisoned. Or fill in the blank. Yeah, disappears in quotation marks. Yes. But what you realize is there are political regimes all around the world, very common, where people routinely are killed, poisoned, or otherwise made to disappear. So the risks were very real for you. And these are not conspiracy theories, like they were actual threats. So was the lack of fear a lack of fear of death? Or was it a belief that you could extricate yourself or avoid any type of like really significant consequence or there something are, else? There are three answers to that. A, yes, we don't be afraid to die. Okay. Somehow don't. I mean, this is like, you die, that's it. Whatever. Mm -hmm. B, somehow, and it actually really helped with the bandits in 2009 when they came to ask for all of their money invested in the game back. We knew that it's their way of threatening you and they want you to be afraid. They want you to fear. And also, that's how you're on the hook. As soon and you, as you show as the soon fear, you show that's, the fear that's when they like hook you and you owe them forever. And we showed them that like, okay, kill us, whatever. I mean, like you will never get your money back. And the other case, like we can probably work it out well, somehow. We learned through this experience that actually, if you don't show the fear, it's much safer than if you show. It's a little bit like with like lions. Blood in the like, water. Yes. Blood in the water. But then the third one, the third one is when it comes to the political systems, let's say particularly the Russian political system, for the KGB people who were actually running the country at that time, like Putin is ex-head of KGB. That's the only thing which we all should understand. That's a country run by KGB people. Yes, they call themselves FSB, but who's to give a shit? It's KGB. It's the same guys who NKVD, like who were, were just basically killing people 60, 50 years before that in Russia, after the war, before the war. So when it comes to them, they see two types of people who are playing against them. It's either enemies or idiots. Fools. Enemies or like, idiots. Uh, enemies like or enemies, like spies. Okay. spies. Like, your eyes work on, you, uh, you either for work CIA. For CIA or you're an idiot. Or you're an idiot who was uh, convinced by CIA to fight against them, and you're just like fool who who like yeah, you're a pawn. Oh, a pawn. So we played the pawn card. We're like, let's show ourselves as if we're uh, stupid, and we were completely transparent about all of our ideas from the very beginning, saying like they will just see us as uh, fools, town lunatics, town lunatics. This strategy 
worked uh, at particular that time. time. It's a time. It was just so rare that they're like, oh, these guys are just crazy. Because because we made it transparently. If you're a CIA agent, you will you try will... to hide. But if you like transfer money <laughs> to the biggest opposition year, like you probably hiding in plain sight. Yes, hiding <laughs> in plain sight. And they're like. Oh, idiots. They spend their money. Okay, whatever. We'll just steal this money from the positioner anyway. So, fools. That was the situation. For, so, for us, uh, the shield for all those years was like, they believe we're just idiots. Just a quick thanks to one of our sponsors, and we'll be right back to the show. This episode is brought to you by AG1, the daily foundational nutritional supplement that supports whole body health. I do get asked a lot what I would take if I could only take one supplement. And the true answer is invariably AG1. It simply covers a ton of bases. I usually drink it in the mornings and frequently take their travel packs with me on the road. So what is AG1? AG1 is a science-driven formulation of vitamins, probiotics, and whole food sourced nutrients. In a single scoop, AG1 gives you support for the brain, gut, and immune system. So take ownership of your health and try AG1 today. You will get a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free AG1 travel packs with your first subscription purchase. So learn more, check it out. Go to drinkag1.com slash Tim. That's drinkag1, the number one. Drinkag1.com slash Tim. Last time, drinkag1.com slash Tim. Check it out. All right, we may come back to this, but I want to make sure I don't lose the thread. So the graphics for this political satire seems to be working pretty well. You return to your ideas from prior, which is how we got here. So thinking about anti-corruption and things like that. And then you know, where so do you leave? We started our move to United States. We already established our presence in Los Angeles because in of animation 2010. Uh, in 2010 and started to move all attention to so we were like, United States. Nothing good going to happen in the country. It's run by the KGB and we'll like, they're not going to release their grasp over the country unless it's going to be like a revolution type of situation, which we saw that the, even opposition, they were trying to play the political game. And it was a lost game from the very beginning. So... We knew that the show, Political Satire, on largest TV network in Russia, is not going to last more than the term of puppet President Medvedev. That's exactly what happened. Like, as soon as Putin get back to his position, like, the show was shut down immediately. So we knew it's going to end. And we knew that we need to spend all of the money which we'll make from this in order to transit to the United States. So two questions, and it might seem obvious to you guys, but I think for a lot of people listening, they might wonder, well, why not... Europe. Why not somewhere else? Why, why the U.S.? And then how hard was it or how easy to start to move your lives to the U.S.? You know, in Europe, especially animation industry is uh, it's mostly, subsidized. mostly subsidized by government. So you actually need to deal with bureaucrats and you need to, uh, to get any that. finding in like, the private sector almost uh, doesn't exist. Um, so I would say it makes it very hard for immigrants. Yes, exactly. Yes, yes. Uh, and it was it, always like, if you want if you're to not get local, you need to, uh, to, to work, work with, with local, local studios, studios and they should get this funding. And like We started developing the relationship, but even faster we realized that in Hollywood, we have all the chances. And pretty quickly we were introduced to people who then introduced us to the agencies and the William Morris Endeavor signed up with us January 2010. Half a year after we started the company. 
You know, it's still a challenging process. Any immigration is a challenging process. It took us six years for people to really take us seriously and to get to the same type of level of uh, professional acceptance like than we had back in uh, Moscow. But we um, found our ways. But I mean, at least it is possible here. You know, like in Europe or like in UK, you would never become... You would never be able to, to spend only five, six years and get into the, like... Major Hollywood studios to be the equal. California, you know, California has a lot of downsides, but it's one of the upsides is like (laughs) this is true in a lot of the U.S. Like no one is uh, discriminating against green, (laughs) and and people like opportunity. And also, California, a lot of people don't realize part of the reason Silicon Valley worked is that California also makes it very hard to enforce non-compete contracts, right? So there are opportunities everywhere. Of all different types. Yeah, yeah, we agree with the community. Yeah. This yeah. is this is uh, the, this was our like, all observations that it's all about like non-competes that they are not enforceable that this allow you to actually work at Google, write your own search engine at nights, and then launch your own search engine, and Google cannot do really anything. There's with a you lot of free flow of free talent, flow, yes, which uh, makes it hard sometimes to retain talent in Silicon Valley. But that's a whole separate story. So you land in LA. You have introductions to people at, say, William Morris Endeavor and other places. What happens as that momentum starts building? We actually had a pretty good success working with different studios and different big names like Jimmy Fallon. We worked on the show with him. At some point, we um, met with the guy who used to be John Stewart's head writer. And he just moved back from New York to Los Angeles and uh, was uh, sort of available-ish. He wasn't for a year, but then a year later he was available, and we took our chance to become friends over the year. And then when he become available, like, Josh, why don't you work with us? And uh, we managed to convince him because we showed him how fast we actually can produce animation. Even like William Morris Endeavor or Josh, even being a friend for us for like a year, they never actually believed that we can produce animation in one week. And we had to prove it, like, literally by saying, like, Josh, are you serious? Okay, just let's write a script right now, a one-pager. You will write one-pager joke. And in a week, you will in have it. In a week, will, you will have it in animation. And that's what we did. And it was like, whoa, you guys were saying You true. guys can actually do it. You guys can actually do it. Like, before that, he worked at Simpson before John Stewart. And at Simpsons, like, 12 months. Like, like a year. Like you're like, you're making a joke, and it's already old. A year old joke. And with us, there was an opportunity for him to make jokes, which are super cards. Uh, so it was cool. But on the other hand, really wanted to focus more on the technologies which can transform society. And plus, Hollywood wasn't really our thing you know like uh, there are some trade-offs yes there are lots no of one trade-offs. cares about technologies especially that time you know like it's before netflix and before all the stuff no one cared about technologies no one cares that you faster and cheaper no one cared we about realize like who is late. your like producers and like all divorce, this, lawyers. Like, divorce lawyers and all this stuff <laughs> wait wait, uh, wait wait how does the divorce lawyer fit in we don't know but people in hollywood say so <laughs> Oh wait, you want you need to know divorce lawyers? Yes, yes because, because they know they people, know everyone. Like, they know like the power oh, dynamics. This is, oh, like, this is good for me to know. There's okay. like a power dynamic of like <laughs> the divorce lawyers who who control. Oh, I picked up a new stratagem today. Thank you. <laughs> exactly. Okay. And we're like, divorce wait, lawyers. Um, so we then we... knew all the lawyers, and we started to know the people, <laughs> and we started to meet the people, and eventually we deconstructed what the show needed to be in order to come to a meeting 
at Fox. At that point, then you're pitching your own show. Yes. So we get to the point understanding that we cannot sell our technology. We have to sell the entire show. Package. We should package voice the Trojan actors. Trojan horse with voice, the technology inside. Exactly. We took it all. Like that's why we needed Josh because we needed head writer. That like we took the voice actors. We took like the best concept artists. Like to combine this all and produce a pilot, like a literal final quality pilot, and brought it to Fox. And who was it? Susanna Marcus at the time. She was like, "Wow, I love it." Because we actually knew what she likes, who she likes, what type of artist, what type、yeah. of artist, what are like we we like engineer it all, data, 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 and then went we went to a custom tailor to put together a pilot for her. Yes, exactly. But it was also some misfortune time、uh, because still like Putin get back to power, so our show was cancelled back in Russia in 2013. The banking crisis in Cyprus, all、Deleted. our money was nationalized. So all of that our money. Had- so wait, hold on a second. So Cyprus. So does that mean that you had moved your finances from, from Russia, Russia, from Russia to, to Cyprus, and then it was out of out of the、uh, out of the pan and into the fire? Yes. And then Cyprus got nationalized. It was like, oh, the, the same story all over again. Yes, same story all over again. Six million dollars like earned, <laughs>、oh, wow. and like- all of a sudden we couldn't pay anyone in the United States. No voice actors, no screenwriters. We like we couldn't pay anyone. Immediately, it all fell apart. So, did you get the green light for the yes, pilot? Yes. And then yes. Cyprus. Yes. And then. Yes. Bye bye few. Bye bye few. And we tried to think what we can do in Hollywood more for like half a year, a year. But then we realized it will take us another four or five years to recover because there's no money, there's like、yeah. nothing in there. So, like, screw it. We're not gonna stay in Hollywood. Let's move to Silicon Valley.、Uh, so, <laughs> and we moved to Menlo Park.、Uh, at the yeah, right in the middle. Right、yes. in the middle, yeah. <laughs>、um, and also, we really w- already wanted to return to our real like ideas. We we started with、uh, transparency again. We decided that we can do a trick that we can actually not target governments to become co- transparent, but、uh, target nonprofits. Like, why we don't see how nonprofits actually spend their money? It's like, kind of obvious. It's not your like personal money. It's like we all together gather these funds. To make change world a better place, so we created a transparent banking platform for nonprofits. For many reasons, we were wrong about the ability and readiness of the appetite. The appetite, exactly, the appetite for the nonprofits. But but you know, like this was one of the. This was also the times when we realized that some of the challenges, which like fundamental challenges, which we saw in economy, actually. They were true in the United States as well. Not only in Europe, not only like Russia, not only is Israel, but、uh, in the United States as well. And we realized that even with、uh, the nonprofit transparency, if you will look at research of what actually donors want, you will see that the previous generations of donors they don't really want to see. Where the money spends, it's like it's don't, almost don't ask, the last. Yes, yes, it's almost the last uh, uh, item in the list of their preferences, requirements. their the requirements. But our generation and generations younger, actually, on the first place, we want to see what happened with、uh, the, the dynamic of thinking behind this. Is for the older generation, they donate money because it's a give back for them. They're like so society gives society, them a lot. It's feeling good versus doing good. Yes. And for the youngest, it's well、like、given forward. 
We want to change what's bad right now, and we want to see it's changing. And also, and also, actually, previous generations got a lot from society in terms of form of free education, almost free college education, like 30 years ago, and things like that. New generation being uh, hammered with, with student debts, etc. They don't really feel that society gave them much. Uh, but they really still donate the same portion share, of their share than the older generation, but it's just different reason for the to yeah, do I that. feel like the, some of the younger generations here, younger than certainly than me, uh, get than a us. bad reputation for misunderstood reasons. Or I should say they're misunderstood in the sense that, I know you guys have spoken about this before, but it's like if you look at, say, previous generations' ability to get a higher education, put a down payment on a house and pay for a mortgage compared to some of the more recent generations, it's night and day. So it's important to factor that into how you evaluate them. So question for you guys with the looking at the nonprofit and the, this and the, the, and the, the platform, right? You have, you, you're very good at, it seems like letting go of ideas, having a light grasp on ideas if things are not working. So you can move to something else that you think might work better. That's not true for everyone. Right? Some people get very attached to one thing and they want to ride it until they die and they get attached to things that may never work. And I'm wondering how you think about changing direction, maybe failure in quotation marks. Like, What allows you to do that so readily? A, we learn the hard way. So the first, the game studio, we grasp and so we you, try. you know that if you don't stop at the right moment, you can actually get to and, a, and a, a deep uh, yeah, yeah. yeah, you can get into um, a hole. Yes. But also what we saw in the data is that, uh, and what we realized also through the experience of game development, failure, and then animation success, that we realized that... Uh, it is not always about your you, abilities. Your abilities. So you can fail just um, because of a different reason, like financial crisis, like, like, like poker, right? The, the yes. time, so you, uh, not You have right. to study the decision-making, not just the outcomes. Yes. And the statistics of venture startups is that two-thirds will fail. Like completely fail, losing all the money. Yeah, zero. And zero. if you will look at all these failures, there are rare exceptions. But in most cases, what you should see is that if your startup is growing, you should continue. You should like double down, put your all attention there, etc. If it's not, but if it's not, think if it's twice. Stop and growing, probably you should stop and, and quit and start another one. If so, we look at this purely from the perspective of statistics, if it's not doubled the growth, if whatever numbers behind your understanding of of your business isn't doubled. It didn't double, how to say, isn't double. Yeah, it didn't double. Didn't double. Over what period of time? Over 14 months. 14 months. 14 months. Why 14 months? I have to ask. It's pure statistics. statistics. Like if you look at the statistics. If you look at just, all those failures. Oh, I see, I see. That's the and success yes. is over that It's like a pattern. Doubling take, over 14 months. If you take all of them and divide, then just 14 months. Because if you're also not growing with this, this space, venture capital will not be accessible to you. And you won't be able to actually raise money, use these funds to grow further and things like that. So this market is, uh, is actually a pretty special in terms of these probabilities. Like just one out of 100. It's going to be a unicorn. Su success. And if you don't see trajectory to get there, probably you're not getting the right, the right thing. 
uh, just to stop and start something new. And knowing that your chances are one in a hundred, you should try as many attempts as possible. Take more shots. Moreover, more you know, like we usually show to the young wanna be people, uh, wanna be entrepreneurs, we show this picture of uh, Mark Zuckerberg or Evan Spiegel, who made into success from the first attempt. Dropping out from the college and look, they're billionaires. Most of the billion dollar companies like created not like that. It's created by people who failed multiple times, multiple times and then got to success. In terms of statistics, this is what we should observe with this uh, thing. Definitely something depends on your abilities to execute, etc. But there are things which totally independent. From I mean, you. I remember angel investing starting in 2008 and seeing business models companies that couldn't execute in a period of time because the technology just wasn't there and the adoption wasn't there. And then five, six years later, basically the exact same company, but a few things have changed. Mobile phones have become more powerful. A handful of protocols have been developed and then boom, it works. Uber is mobile phone with GPS. Yeah, you're right. right yes, right. Uh, with, uh, with uh, wide enough adoption. <laughs> and it was tried. This idea is were online tried before earlier. ordering or text online uh, yes for sure work. it's been there um yeah, totally. and because of that you know especially because we really like you know we balance ourselves between sometimes when we work on some uh, forward-looking ideas like uh, buying cars like uh, on something which Mars. is not happening yet and also we work on some projects which down to earth which already something which is happening and we know that with these projects which not there yet. Yes, there is a, the chance to win big, but this chance is small. And there is like a lot of uh, timing very, very issues. Binary. And you can lose just because timing is not right. And we, as Daniel mentioned, we learned it hard way with uh, game development studio. It was really hard for us to stop, even though it was obvious that probably we, we were lucky stop. with the animation studio and then another unfortunate event was losing all of the money just in banking crisis in Cyprus. And we stopped pretty fast. I mean, we're like, are we going to spend time recovering or are we just starting something new? Yeah, when, when Silicon Valley bank crisis happened, we were among like really small group of our friends, founders. All this time, we were obsessed with diversifying, diversifying money. <laughs> money on different banks. <laughs> and everyone would tell us that oh, like in the United States, you shouldn't think about that Don't stuff. Worry about Don't worry happen. about this. It can <laughs> happen. <laughs> cannot. Cannot yes, just because cannot. Uh, and we're like, uh, right. Yeah. <laughs> Surprise. We are not immune from all the problems we've seen in other places. All right. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to zoom out for a second because I, I like to think about sort of meta decisions that span across a lot of other decisions and projects and so on. So <laughs> the two of you living one life, I, we have to talk about this. I have never seen an example quite like this. I mean, there are couples who are say power couples, but it's a different dynamic. I mean, you guys have been seemingly sort of hive mind from a very early age. So when did this start, right? So you have one email address, one Instagram account, one LinkedIn. I think the phone is maybe the same. Uh, it's connected. So that's right. So I'm looking at some notes here. So since you were born, this year was the first time that you guys spent 10 days apart. <laughs> Put another way, not being together in one place when you went to a Vipassana retreat. All right. So could you explain for people who understandably will find this interesting and kind of alien? 
how did this come about? And how is it helpful versus confusing? I mean, how do you guys do it? It is confusing in many ways. <laughs> uh, but A, we should understand that we, the six of us, grew up in one room of a size smaller than this studio. Okay. And for uh, those who but, can't see the full studio, I mean, it's not huge, right? It's not a, this isn't an airplane it, it, hanger. It's not a basketball court. It's like a bedroom. Yeah. Three bunk beds. That's how the six kids could fit in the room like this. And then uh, even later, so we grew up like this up until like school already started. And I think like until 13, 14 years old, it was a situation, more or less. And then parents also send us to school by pairs. It was like a logistical innovation. <laughs> like, it's like buddy diving when you're scuba diving. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But because it, it was dangerous to, um, to walk on the streets in the 90s. Alone. alone so if we together, they don't need to walk us to school so we can do it by ourselves. And all High the degree stuff, of confidence. So. Exactly. So they were sending us by pairs to school. Not only the two of us, but the other kids as well. So we were a pair. Dave was five years old. I was six years old when we went to the school. And the, the rest of the kids were seven, so we were bitten. <laughs> like, but because it's two of us, we learned how to... We learned how to, like, avoid... To protect ourselves <laughs> yeah. being two rather than one. <laughs> so, had to survive. It's like bonding it's Very experience. helpful for the bonding, yeah. Very helpful for the bonding. Helping each other, like, through the education, like, doing homework together, all the stuff together. By 13, 14 years old, that's when we started forming our own ideas of what could be cool for us to do in our life. And that was already like a social justice type of thinking, like how can we make the world a better place for everyone? And starting from there, we saw how no one literally was supporting this idea, except two of us basically continued the conversation in between, between the two of us, and it never faded away. Which idea is this? This is the combining... The idea is that uh, like transparency in right. government, it was just one branch of this idea. Right. That so the two of you are very aligned. Yes, the technologies can actually lead us to a better governance. And uh, that's what we thought. And through this experience of being kids, you know, like first we realized that you know, when you go to school, all kids, they are alone. But we weren't. It always, gave us a lot of advantage. We're you know, always like, uh, We don't need to, to struggle to company gather around us because it's already two people. It's much easier to gather a company, like group of friends around. Also, we realized that uh, if I know mathematics better, we can do it the way so that no one wouldn't know that Daniel don't know mathematics as I do. As good as he does. So and so, so you can actually like like copy yeah, this yeah, Voltron, yeah. Voltron type of situation. <laughs> and we learned that, 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 that that's what we can do. That and if we weren't allow outside world to actually distinguish who has which qualities, you can we will cover be able, the bases. Yes, we will be able to seem to be uh, uh, superhuman. A superhuman because we have both of the qualities. And like, and okay, so I know you guys, as an example, are fans of the Collison brothers, right? Yes. Uh, amazing. <laughs> and Patrick's been on the podcast. My understanding is they have, they're very powerful together, but they have maintained, they're like, I don't want to say Batman and Robin, that's not quite the same. They're like, you know, two of the Avengers, right? I mean, they're superheroes, but they have clearly delineated separate points of contact and so on. What have been some of the other advantages or drawbacks of doing it the way that you guys have approached it? 
even though they definitely more separate than we do, but they did a lot of really great stuff. For example, they were like CEO and president, they switched who is Sion, who is president, and they switched roles. So they, they actually showed to the world that they are interchangeable. A team, yeah, they, they, team. The team and, and they are great in this regard. But um, our, in, our, in our case, we went to just in an extreme version of that, having one line of communication. So if you text me, you actually text both of us, and you don't know who answered this text. But we can answer faster. We can yep, answer sure. faster. Seems to be this... Uh, superhuman, and that worked pretty well uh, during negotiations of the David contracts. honestly hated speaking to people as he was young. He was like super not into talking to people. <laughs> and I was super easy to talk to people, so it was my role in the couple to talk yeah, all yeah. the time. <laughs> and I would, would still never He was pick never up picking the up the phone. phone if someone called. I don't pick up the phone either. Yes, it's to me. It's just too much. I don't know what I'm signing up for. Yes, exactly. Unless it's my brother or a family. Okay, fine. There are a few so exceptions. Imagine, imagine that you can outsource that. That's well, nice. Cool. <laughs> That's nice. Uh, so, and that worked in business pretty well. Even though our first like business partners, they were like, why you're on the same meeting? Like you can be in two places at the same time and things like that. But we even at some moment gave up on like trying to explain them that you know, it's allow us to, in business especially, it's like, like win or lose. Like you, you won this contract or lost the contract. And, and all these meetings are important. And if, you, you, if you like playing two contracts and losing both of them, it doesn't matter that it was two of them. If you're playing one, but you're playing a hardcore game of us being a, a team in this conversation, which can win the contract, it works much better. Yeah, bird in the hand versus two in the bush. Yeah. So what are your respective roles generally then in terms of our responsibilities or strengths? How do you think about that? I would put this this way. We have two different intuitions and they're like completely different. David's intuition is he absorbs data. He remembers everything. And then at some point he can just like, the answer is this, like 42. Like just out of nowhere, out of like, and you're like, why? He's like, I don't know, but I'm pretty sure that it's 42. 42, yeah. It's and like then the hitchhiker's the, guide to the galaxy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then the next morning he can wake up and he's like, yeah, and now I know why. I cleared my past to this place in my mind, which actually made the calculation and tell me it's 42. So here's why. My intuition is completely different. The my intuition is like, we need to fly to London tomorrow. And he's like, why? I have a good feeling about this. <laughs> <laughs> and then we fly to London and we got the investors. It's like this. I'm like, we need to offer these people this. And David's like, no, 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 no. I'm like, yes, yes, yes. We need to offer them this. I offer them this. And they're like, yes, agree. Handshaking. And they're like, how did you know? I'm just like, I felt it. So Daniel much better in reading people. Daniel much better in reading situations in general. I am much better in processing data processing knowledge. I have this uh, strange uh, qualities that I remember everything. Is that hard for you? I'm just wondering, because I have family members like this, and sometimes it's a huge advantage. But are there things that you wish you could forget? I learned to live with that. I think that because we have both of it, and I see what is the advantage of a different type of thinking, etc. And I learned how to live with that, and now I embrace it. I understand the limitations, but I cannot 
read the citation properly. Like I understand the limitation of this tool, but because it's two of us and we have both, I actually doubled down into these qualities and developed these qualities further and further and further. Do you guys get physical or psychological anxiety when you are separate? This was the first time when <laughs> when we were separate. April uh, was the first time when we were separate, like not even being able to text each other because the phone is off during the Vipassana for 10 days long. What was that like? Life. Um, e- well, so you had, a, you had something to do. I mean, you're in yeah, your own mind, right? Like, but you had a task. So what was it like for you, David? It was unexpected, but for me it was okay. Because I knew that Daniel is working on something which is important. I knew that if he will extract some new experiences out of it, I also will do that. So it's kind of, uh, I outsource the this, guinea pig. Um, that guinea was the guinea pig. Yes. Um, and I actually felt like I had this intuition, like, I got to do this. And I just went. And it was so quick. So David had to wait for three months. So everyone expected. I was accepted four days before the course started. Everyone expected around that I will be devastated by this experience. But somehow I was super calm because probably because I knew that Daniel is working on something important for us. There was a purpose behind it. And then the second time was like the same situation, but reversed. He was working on his mind and I was back home. For me, it was a little bit more challenging, meaning that I had this uh, mind trick, which was, oh, it's your fault that he's there struggling there. And like... What are you talking about? For you, it was a great experience. But like, yeah, but for David, maybe it's not as as great. Maybe it's challenging for him. Like, come on, seriously, stop it. <laughs> so. All right, so you have the internal voice keeping you company. Yes. <laughs> it was part of the reason I ask, and I don't know if this is true, this is from the New Yorker piece, is selling shares in yourself the way of the future, which I would love to hear if there's anything you wish were different in that piece, for those people who might check it out. But I was curious because at one point it says, at home, the brothers share a single king-size bed. Is that still the case? We recently changed it. In April, we moved to a new house and we basically decided to have more bedrooms and we have separate bedrooms now. Uh, because this behavior uh, creates some limitations, especially <laughs> around relationships. Yeah, so, I would imagine so. <laughs> so we decided that, uh, especially now when it's published, we have an <laughs> additional problem. <laughs> uh, so. Well, it was already. <laughs> yeah, right, in the New Yorker. Yes, right. New I imagine York. I'm not the first person to ask about this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so um, in general, our bond is quite challenging in terms of relationship. That's why we decided that we need to make it like easier. Like romantic relationship, he means. Uh, right. Yes, uh, mm-hmm. we decided that we need to explicitly make it, make it easier for potential romantic partners and like uh, <laughs> uh, splitting bedrooms is like is one of the first uh, maybe a key aim. different floors <laughs> like daniel has his own floor david has his own floor in the house so uh, i can imagine this in my mind right as i'm painting a picture i just imagine the floors looking very different like if the, the respective they, they brother are, are. floors must be very different but also you know like when we were in the same room it was for purpose we usually would stop talking only like before like a minute we will go to sleep and, uh, and start and, talking and start as, talking we, wake as up. we wake so up so what are we doing today like this is like this is a wake up call so now we travel into New York we in one uh, in one hotel, hotel room, room. So like we constantly <laughs> talk uh, and so. we constantly talk non-stop what an incredible blessing and gift it is that you guys have each other yeah mm-hmm. I mean like we're absolutely enjoying this way of life yes as, as David said challenges in the romantic relationship like we will work it out so do you think when you have romantic partners, like let's just say you have romantic partners, maybe you have families, who knows, do you think you guys will still live together? 
Yes. Yes. We we maybe will we maybe will do some you know like uh, is in our vision we maybe can create kind of special house when you have like sections of like uh, private and not private and something like that because we definitely need to hear also what uh, our other partners, partners uh, have want, to say about things have to say yes but we really want to still have uh, a place for for two of us when we can spend a lot of time together. Okay. So. I have heard people need to fact check this because I think a friend of mine told me just as a model that Tim Burton and his wife, I think it's Helena Bonham Carter, if they're still together, I don't know, but that in their house, they actually lived in separate wings and then they would come together for shared meals and things like that. So they had a very unorthodox We We have friends who build houses when, when they have joint bedroom and separate, separate bedrooms. bedrooms and a wing for kids. A wing for kids. So like so, so. Wing for him, wing for her, wing for kids. And wing for them together. It's like a spaceship. Yeah, I like it. I like it. I'm very interested in all. That's why maybe the divorce lawyers can give you some advice from <laughs> Hollywood. <laughs> what has worked? What has not worked? You mentioned Evan earlier. Not everyone's going to recognize that name. How did you guys end up at Snap? Our point of view, we always tell the story from the perspective of us meeting Dalai Lama in 2010. <laughs> When in doubt, go with the Dalai Lama story. <laughs> so it was back in 2009, right in between us starting the animation studio and uh, bankrupting the game studio. There was a three months of us. <laughs> Took a Dalai Lama sabbatical. Yeah, yeah, yeah. there were three, three months of us <laughs> clearly not knowing what to do. And then the bandits are threatening our lives. We don't know how to like return the money. And then... We just decided to go for a five, six days meditation retreat of uh, Rinpoche, a Tibetan Lama who just arrived to Moscow and a friend invited us. So we came there with no expectations whatsoever. But the gentleman was very interesting. He was young, he was super smart, speaking like 11 languages. And from time to time, he would switch from this uh, Tibetan stories about the uh, enlightened kingdoms to something more practical, even like claiming that a single person can actually change the world if they want. And for us, it was like, wait, what? Are you talking to us? Like, <laughs> and we then asked if we can have a, an audience with the, the Rinpoche. And we were told that everything is booked already. But five minutes later, he called us. Now, just so I'm clear. So he is which teacher? Gyatro Jigme Rinpoche is like a Tibetan spiritual leader. Spiritual, yes. It's like a title which uh, you can get only from your childhood if you recognize it. It recognizes the reincarnation of the previous life. Of someone else. Mm -hmm. Yes. So this gentleman is in Moscow and Rinpoche is asking us to come see him. And we're like, wait. Okay, cool. So we we shared our we ideas, shared our ideas about and our transparency story. about how in the future we can live within governments without physical borders. And for Tibetan peoples, it's really important, important subject, knowing that they don't have so their lives. So it resonated with him. And when we finished our story by saying like, and now it's just two of us, he immediately abrupted us and said like the three of us, and it was touching. And like uh, unexpected. And he finished his phrase with, come visit me in India in, what was it, January next year. I'm hosting an integration of a monastery. Dalai Lama is going to be there. 
and I will introduce you and we will introduce your ideas together and we'll see what we can do together. That meeting actually happened and not happened at the same time. So we flew to India. We spent this week in the monastery in India, Tibetan monastery. Dalai Lama actually arrived. We had a non-private meeting with him with, in a group of 10 European donors of the monastery. Uh, but then we had to have a one-on-one meeting with him next morning, which never happened because a storm came. Like this, I know this is like a movie story. The storm came and Dalai Lama immediately took off. packed into the, to helicopter. To the helicopter, like the military helicopter and just disappeared. And then we're standing there and in half hours, the storm just rushed and flooded the entire valley. For the next two days, we, weren't, next two able days, to we weren't able to leave the place because it was flooded. But then a month later, we received an email from a gentleman whose name was Jerry Murdoch. He's uh, the founder of Insight Partners. One of the biggest uh, VC firms in And uh, the email was like, I'm at the dinner. I'm with... at the dinner with Dalai Lama and this other monk. And they told me I have to email you, and they give me your email, so that's what I do. <laughs> that's why I'm emailing. That's what I'm, e- why I'm so, emailing you. So we be, uh, we've become met with him a few really months close later friends. and become close friends. And eventually, through the many different stories, he invites us to a dinner. This dinner wasn't really for us. He thought that other people will come, but uh, it didn't work. So, so he invited, invited us instead. <laughs> And there Whatever we gets met. The job, uh, then. <laughs> yes, but since this introduction, we always were quite uh, cautious about everything which was related to was him. Related to I mean, Dalai Lama introduced to someone, you stick to Should be person. the reason. <laughs> so there should be a reason. Like, and we always try to help him and like be around and just see where it will come, where it will go. You're talking about Jerry. Jerry, yes. Mm-hmm. And, and at some point, he... eventually, he introduces us to Evan at his house. And then Evan gave me his phone number just right away at the meeting. And uh, it was the right moment. Which wasn't expected for everyone around, because that's not what he's doing. And we were developing technologies around uh, 3D avatars Computer at that vision. moment. Uh, and that's uh, what was exactly... On his mind. On his mind. Like, on his mind was he wanted to combine a Bitmoji, which were the 2D avatars he acquired from the Canadian company, and... 3D engine of AR technology of Luxury, the the Ukrainian company he acquired. He wanted to merge the two technologies. And our experience in Hollywood was merging technologies. We literally were transferring the 2D styles of existing animated shows into 3D and back and forth and back and forth. In that moment, we also focused on the on 3D avatars and how like technologies can actually not a show, not uh, not something uh, like which a game, require game uh, type of thinking. Like because we decided to. Like, Right after the financial transparency for non-profits didn't work, we decided that we looked around and realized that the technology advanced, like a computer vision and style transfers and like all this stuff advanced a lot since we left CG graphics. And we realized that we know everything and more than probably everyone in the field. So we can uh, try to just start something and, and probably going to like build a successful company. Half a year later, Evan offered us, not offered, but already acquired us. Mm-hmm. And so just for people who might not have the the acronym, so AR, augmented reality. Augmented right? reality. So people may recognize some of the current or recent iterations on Snap where you can, say, put any number of different sort of overlays of yes. characters. I mean, they do partnerships with all sorts of companies and so on. So you can 
add something to your face that sort of tracks your eye movement and augments the kind of visual experience. So is that what you guys were working on in some capacity? This technology, face tracking technology, it was uh, Ukrainian uh, company Luxury, which they recently uh, acquired before Snapchat us. Um, and we worked how to combine the avatars into this technology. I see. Uh, so right now, uh, 3D version of Bitmojis is uh, the most used avatars daily in Snapchat. It's, uh, it's already everywhere like in your profile, in games, in lenses, in all places. And so you guys get acquired. And if I'm missing a chapter, let me know. But can you describe what you did, what your analysis looked like when Snapchat suddenly started losing users? I think it was in 2017? Mm -hmm. 2018. 18. So it was early 2018. Are you right? Uh, 2017, yeah. Instagram released their stories. And in the beginning of 2018, new version new update version of Snapchat, oh, Snapchat was released. Uh, was released. Uh, like Kim Kardashian tweeted, uh, or Kylie Jenner tweeted that uh, like no one would use Snapchat anymore, all this stuff. And audience started to decline. And at that moment, most of the people believed... Internal idea in the company was that it's due to the... Public, public sentiment competition. Uh, public sentiment of the bad new version. Or a competition of uh, Instagram, of Instagram and in, in TikTok, or all together. While our analysis of data showed us that it's not true. And then the major reason for the decline of the audience was related to the fact that Android version of Snapchat, after the update, becomes so slow that people over time gave up. Yeah, yeah. they just abandoned. They just because... abandoned, started abandoning. 10% of the slowest devices of Android users could have experienced like up to 40 seconds before the feed with stories would load. Next oh, time when you will open it. some feed, like Forget count to 40. Count 40, 40 seconds, no way. <laughs> Forget I'll barely it. wait for four seconds. Exactly. So it was so obvious that this was the reason. But um, it took some time. We realized that we didn't have any specific position related to that in the company. And we realized that what we can do is actually to just bring all the insights which we were able to extract to, to Evan, the engineering team to uh, and to just uh, give him all the evidences so that uh, more focus can be added to the, the problem and to making the, the app faster. Now, why do you think you guys spotted this? Right, Because it doesn't sound like it's immediately your department or responsibilities. So was the narrative that it was, you know, the... Jenners and the Kim Kardashians and then the competition was that so accepted at face value that people weren't looking at the data or what happened? So there were several reasons. A, First of all, it's we're Android. Android. We're Android users and uh, among executives it was a really rare things to uh, actually to use, use Android, Android as day to day. Evan, he pushed himself to use Android to experience this all, uh, what uh, his users uh, usually experience when they use Android. But we use Androids as day-to-day -day devices. We're hackers. We don't like limitations of um, Apple App Stores and close-up uh, ecosystems. That's why we always were there. And so when we developed our 3D avatars, it was it worked. the first it worked product. It worked faster 
on Android than, than on iOS. And it was quite unique to, to compare to other products. And through this experience, we learned a lot about some limitations. And we already, at that moment, looked at some data just for our product to be launched properly. We wanted to um, fix Snapchat's Android app earlier just for our product to work. So we kind of had already some predispositions and beliefs related to that. Then, when the product was launched, we decided to research everything about the user behavior in order to understand how we can better position our product inside of the Snapchat ecosystem. And with, and with such problems, the challenge, you know, there, there are different methodologies. For example, there is a methodology to A-B tests. When you launch, half of the users will see one version and half of the users will see a different version, and then you will compare the results. But with performance degradation, the result is delayed. It's not immediate. You cannot really like, it's, it's really hard not to apples to apples. Yes. So you need to wait for some time. You need data for for longer period and of time. And more or less, you need to break it, give your users a bad version, wait for them to use it for a long enough period for you to see the difference in behavior. And, and, uh, and, uh, um, Sounds uh, like tough assignment. Yes. Evan decision, moral decision was never do that. So you, you shouldn't really make the experience of users worse intentionally. And and as hackers, for us, it was like, okay, can we find a way how to get this data anyway? So we started to look at all the previous bugs. Accidental. Accidental <laughs> mistakes. Uh, degradations. Which, which led to, and then was discovered, but lasted for long enough so that we can actually extract the change in behavior data. Still, it's really important to note in the article in... In the New Yorker, it's, it's the words not from us. That's why they are not as clear. There were people who also believe in this idea, not only us. Um, it was basically just, their initiative. There were not enough momentum Ar and, and, and not enough people who would work on this problem. There were really brilliant engineers who already, before that, started to rewrite. You so could be good uh, so, ambassadors. Yes, yeah, so this. we so we used our previously earned um, social, social capital, capital of, of building so this we avatar that product. We like, need to just spend all the social capital on this problem, otherwise shares drop to five dollars per share from twenty in all our like the entire compensation of ours uh, in equity, of, of course. And also, we we saw the opportunity. You know, uh, for us, we got through two major crises in our life not counting the, the childhood crisis, financial crisis. That's why somehow for us, when it is a crisis, for us, it's, it's a great time. So it's like, oh, like now our... Now we can show how we can hide. Yes. Um, Never let a good crisis go to yes. waste. Yes, exactly. Yes. So, <laughs> and at some point, we just had to show that we are good engineers as well. In order to challenge the status quo, David had to sit down and fix camera. Snapchat is camera. And David made it load twice, twice as fast. Like not load, like when you press the button, how fast the picture would be ready. I showed that it can be, it can be the speed can be doubled. So and, in, in and it was like, oh wow. So yes, you are guys also great engineers as well. So how did you do that? And we showed some of the principles of how you can find inefficiencies in the code. But still it's really important in the sense so it was a really team effort. A lot of great engineers actually was part of this process. What we see as uh, our contribution is that this promotion of this Their idea voice was heard. and bringing this voice to the decision makers so that they also will be empowered with data to then spread it to the entire organization. And that's what 
definitely really great times. Uh, and several... It worked. And, uh, you know, like, even though Snapchat has some challenges right now with uh, financial side of things, but with audience, since then it's growing. The audience is growing. They the recently is... reached like 800 million. The audience uh, is growing in audience. the countries where the Androids are even slower. So the app actually is pretty significant, right? It's still, it's still like, right uh, on, in terms of Android apps, it's still like one of the fastest apps to load uh, compared to the major apps. What there. was interesting as well, so, so launching a new updated version only happened when, like in March-ish of 2019, but it was also important. And like, we put lots of efforts into this program more than more than the other one to fix the existing version. Before the new was released, the old had to be fixed in order to stop bleeding. Yeah. And by December, the bleeding stopped. And in January, the audience started to grow. In March, the new version was released. It never actually slowed down since then. So I have a question about this type of data-driven analysis. Do you attempt to do this type of analysis with goals or challenges that you have in your personal lives is do you try to apply it everywhere are there examples that you could give outside of the business context first of all we, we should note that we as daniel mentioned about intuition we believe in both we believe in the intuition we believe in data approach but yes so for example one of our major principle is that we know what is compound growth and for example, when we have some crazy goals, crazy for some people, they will, will set some goals and these goals are, seems to be impossible. What we show again and again is that uh, actually if you have goals, like, like for example, number of followers or number of uh, dollars in your pocket, quantifiable, uh, uh, quantifiable things. Quantifiable, key What you can do is that you can evaluate what you have right now and then, if you can multiply this number two, if you can double two times a year, actually every year, if you can years, double your result, it is a greatness. You like you have like the entire uh, money on earth, the entire population, uh, population of following, etc. So it's really important when you when you have these big goals, you can't have any big goal uh, with this uh, approach. You, but just, you just don't need to run faster than uh, doubling the number two times a, every year. Actually, what we realize is that there is uh, There's this corridor. If physical the limitation at the top, which is around 2.4, like you cannot run faster than increasing your results 2.4 times a year in a long, uh, long run. Uh, but what we realize is that it's actually it's, it's really a tiny corridor. If you increase this number 1.6 times, you're successful. If you increase this number 2.4 times, you're you are superhuman. superhuman. You're like godlike. So this this is only the small corridor. You don't need to think about something faster. If, if it's anything slower, slower, it's just like a it won't normal life. Now this is multiplying your KPI by 1.7 times every year. Every year. Every year. Yes. Once per year. Once, Once per year. year. Yes. And we applied it a lot in our life, in our business life, in the life of our companies, uh, in our personal life so we, we we use this methodology how do you apply what would be an example from the personal life maybe it doesn't have to follow that doubling heuristic it could but what might be an example but for example amount of hours you spent with a romantic partner you inspired by mm -hmm. okay so this and is, so you uh, would look at your you would track the hours 
and then look to multiply that over time. So you shouldn't expect that immediately you, you would start a relationship which would be perfect and like you will spend the, all the time and all this time would be perfect and great, etc. But if you have uh, one hour of this mm. experience uh, a year, this the next uh, year it can be two hours, uh, the next year it can be four hours. For some it might yeah, sound like... like... In, in 10 years you have the entire <laughs> life like that. Um, so. Slow build. Slow build. Slow build. And, and, and we just realized that uh, when you try to run faster, you can actually break yourself. I see what um, you're saying. So you can make a mistake by saying, okay, I'm going to spend half of my time this year with this person mm -hmm. because you're sort of biting off more than you can chew. Yeah. Mm -hmm and maybe shooting yourself in the foot for the long term. Yes. Okay. So basically having an eye towards growth, but not being excessively ambitious in the beginning because you'll break things. Yes, I know on personal experience. Yes, this is like when you want too much right away, you break stuff. Yeah, I can see <laughs> that. As someone who's like, like physical <laughs> breakage, also. Yeah, but even even with uh, the acceleration, when you're in a rocket uh, flying to space, there is this limitation of like three, three G, G you know, like three times G, which uh, then actually start breaking stuff in yourself. So it seems that it's an if it's kind of natural number. This is what we can sustain, like two point four, like uh, two, uh, one point six. This is something which we can sustain physically and mentally. Um, and, and you can it, honestly, you can, can find it anywhere. Everything. You want to play music? Just start from something achievable right now, today. Double your result every year, and you will and become you will a, like uh, become Beyonce super, superstar. <laughs> superstar. <laughs> yeah. uh, Certainly true with physical activity too. If you think about say weightlifting or whatever, yes, exactly. you don't need to ten x yes. the number every year. And if you, you try, want, you want ten x. If you try, you try like you... I've tried, then you start damaging your connective yes. tissue or. Yes. I remember that it was uh, one of the Olympic teams. Uh, was it in UK or something like that? I don't remember exactly. But uh, they got a new trainer, and the new trainer was uh, coach, coach cool. was with this approach. Like, but the approach was like we need to improve our KPIs one percent a week. Mm. It's almost the same. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and they be become Years champion later, from nowhere. They become uh, champion from like nowhere. Like the yeah. last position in the list. They so it's about physical activity the same in, in business activity, writing uh, books, money, finance, music. But really important is that you can achieve anything. You can have any type of uh, mission or big goals, but then you write this, uh, you like draw this uh, course for yourself yeah. and, and be consistent. What are some of the logistics challenges and how have you addressed them in running your businesses, how you run them, or organizing your lives the way that you guys organize them? We have a very messed up calendar. <laughs> it's like multidimensional. <laughs> um, Does that mean that you're just traveling all over the place? We travel a lot, tra uh, for sure. Uh, we probably, like, this year were in the States for three months all over the year, but at home, like, at home in LA even less time than that, maybe like one week a month, not but, more than that. But what helped a lot is that started with two of us, but quite fast, uh, two of our sisters uh, joined. And they usually... And they don't travel that much. Uh, and they usually run uh, uh, operations uh, and scaling of the Do any of your other siblings have the pair bonding that you guys have? No, no, it didn't work. But five of us were quite close. 
And we work together. We work together. Uh, we yes. live together in LA. Like our house is literally like two minutes away from each other. Yes. And they start to run our operations since uh, game development. And then they become uh, the, the par- equal, equal partners, partners in uh, animation studio. Um, and, uh, and since then, it's much easier for us to dream more and to act. Uh, no, but now we discuss everything together, like philosophy, the vision for the future, the morality. Like it's a constant discussion among all of us. So I can imagine. I'm just putting myself in the place of people listening to this. That I'm sure there are people out there who work with family, and then there are other people who don't work with family. But I imagine working with my family and I love my family, but I'm like, wow, if I hired two people from my family to run my operations, what do you do if it's not working? I mean, would you ever fire them or do you just have complete confidence that you can resolve anything that might come up? How do you think about? You definitely can fire, but uh, (laughs) for sure, we went through really harsh experience with uh, game development studio bankruptcy and they were the only ones who stayed with us. Uh, through the challenging period, yes. And when you actually went through such experience, it's much easier to trust, not trust just because it's family, but because you know what you, you can expect. how you they behave. And especially in venture business, when, as we mentioned, most of your attempts would fail, it is really important quality to have someone who you can trust that they are with you long term, not just for this project. I would say this worked pretty well. Maybe this was uh, the results of this experience, which we all had. But maybe just because our parents worked together, for us, uh, we didn't you have this concept that, uh, that it's it's not right. Never it's, work it's, with not. your family. No. And we went no. through challenges. Definitely we, we argue with each other, etc. So we went through a lot of challenges, um, but it worth it. I was thinking also, as you saw your sisters, I suppose, during the challenges of the game development company has reminded me of a quote i don't know the attribution but in english is a common expression adversity builds character but the alternative which i think might be just as true or maybe truer is adversity doesn't build character it reveals character reveals character yeah. and so you got to see how they responded to a lot of challenge which gave you the confidence then and there were a lot of challenges yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and we are lucky in many, in many ways. I want to ask you about, this is a same question applied to two different groups. So the first is going to be your parents. And I want to just ask about what ideas of theirs you find most interesting. Maybe that's a place to talk about climatics, maybe not. Then the second is what ideas you guys are most excited about right now. But I wanted to start with Do we have a couple parent. more hours for each? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so our parents, so our dad, he was from physics, but he was uh, by government pushed out from physics because he was June in, and switched in, to he biophysi- switched to biology, biology because biophysics uh, was an open field. <laughs> in, uh, so in physics the, was more protected and, and Jews were more discriminated yes. against in physics. So he found uh, this niche. It was a new niche. It was an emerging new science. And he came there with uh, knowledge of physics. 
And that gave him a different perspective than most of the biologists uh, who would see everything through the prism of chemistry or through the prism of biology. He looked at this through the prism of physics. And he started discovering things uh, faster, uh, faster uh, in, the, in this field. Um, Starting yeah. with the, uh, the first thing which he discovered was that the color which received by an eye is encoded not in the frequency, which is then translated as a signal inside of the eye nerve, but as a pattern of uh, po- the signal pauses in between, pauses in between spikes. the spikes. Mm-hmm. So the spikes so it's like almost like a Morse, like like and this is a sort of like. And that's how he realized that it should be a computer there, that should be a computation because the encoding happened. He came to this idea through a really interesting, weird uh, obsession of his on the idea that if evolution was working properly for millions of years, if not billions of years, then it should be optimal. That the most optimal mechanism should have uh, survived the evolution process. And therefore, what's the most optimal from the physics perspective in terms of uh, measuring... Um, amount of energy amount, spent like, on the operation. On the operation and, and data. He's like, time. Time in between the quantum events this is probably the most optimal one. And that, like, from this perspective, he was like, from the perspective of optimality, he was trying to find how the eye works, and he was the one to discover exactly how it works. And he's like, wow, so I was right about optimality. And then used optimality all the way down, exploring into the nerve, into, into the neuron, uh, and into the core of the cell, into the DNA, and then, like, Across the entire cell. So, chematic was uh, the abbreviation of uh, chemistry, chemistry, optics, and mathematics. So, he always believed that the real discoveries are in combination of different fields. That actually, the, the fact that we learn this subject separately limiting, uh, us. limiting us in terms of, of us being able to discover some things which requires you to Have look some at the interdisciplinary yes. synthesis. And their success, both like uh, that and mom, the success was because of that. They would combine things which others would, wouldn't combine. For example, he brought the quantum physics into, into cell. uh, describing cells' uh, processes. So even here, like maybe 2008, 2010, it was really a marginalized idea in science. They were trying to avoid, uh, as, avoid much as, as much as possible some complicated processes in biology because no, it will chemistry, challenge like. the ideas that it happened randomly and that so they, they would, would try not... to avoid that. And only recently more and more discoveries around photosynthesis which probably requires quantum tunneling and then the smell and the, this fact that uh, the birds can see the direction of, uh, polarization, uh, of light. polarization of light and like where is North Pole. This all can be described on through the quantum properties of some uh, processes uh, which happen inside in of life. The biggest discovery, which we personally like, it's the last discovery. You know, like it's and always it's not like just that. Discovery, it's so, like the entire concept <laughs> um, that our consciousness works through a quantum compute inside every single neuron. Every single neuron is sort of a qubit. It's like a quantum state machine itself, which then combined is in the network produce all the results, but every neuron is quantum state machine. This can actually explain a lot about our psychology, about how we think, how our consciousness works, but also it can give humanity a lot of clues how to build proper quantum computers. 
So currently, the quantum computers which we build, like Google builds or Microsoft builds, uh, they are all require some really complicated environments. So you need to froze the computers to like minus 270 degrees. Fully isolated from any chaotic uh, uh, electromagnetic field and stuff. So it's really complicated. Uh, uh, while if our parents write, in every cell. Every cell in our body has uh, a quantum... This uh, process happening at room temperature, so we can actually look at how biology made it and then build a new uh, class of quantum computers which can actually be in your watch. And, and, and then uh, this can accelerate the personal AI development, not the corporation's big AI, but uh, the one which would be with you always and things like that. Plus, there is so, a chance also as well that if these processes are happening inside of the cell, the answer to a room temperature uh, superconductor also. can also be there somewhere. I know that recently there was this entire hype with the supposedly discovery of the room temperature superconductors. It uh, seems that it didn't work uh, this time fully, but, but we all like why was so excited because it can change everything. Understanding the the quantum levitation, all roads can be done from superconductors. If all roads can be, then we have flying cars. If the same roads can then become the electric network, which distributes electricity around the globe from sustainable sources of energy, like solar panels. We have day somewhere each hour, all the time. And if the superconductors can surround the planet, then we have electricity everywhere without the losing of power. Mm -hmm. Lots of stuff can come from the superconductors. So the it, the it, answer can be inside of our cells. Yes. So in the biggest discovery was that the, the answer can be inside of the cells. If we can actually look at the properties of these nanotubes, and they are really special. Is this really like right now? There are a lot of discoveries showing that these nanotubes have properties which no one would expect that they would have. Even though we all know about physics and chemistry. But we cannot predict these properties. Like uh, because this is recent, not, not probably, not, probably not even published, or or maybe some some discussions in the conferences is happening that the nanotubes of that sort, the cytoskeleton nanotubes, microtubulars, they can capture photons, they can capture light and direct it within its structure. As the light actually hits the microtubular the photon goes inside the tube and then like as if it's a cord which captures the light and then so a lot of really unexpected and great properties which can be used in industries and uh, which can be used by humanity to to just uh, accelerate our developments what is important is that they just realize that to achieve that we need to be interdisciplinary and we need to combine through the last years uh, he was a promoter that he believes that in schools we should teach kids like that, so like not to teach like physics and chemistry and like biology, but, but, separately, but, but teach all it together. To, all together and, and, and show how all this interconnected in that uh, we need to kind of grow a new <laughs> generation, generation of uh, scientists who wouldn't be so silent in the disciplines. All right. So I want to segue to the ideas that you guys are currently most excited about. Thank you for explaining all that. I could spend hours just digging into what you just said, maybe another time. But since you mentioned teaching, which relates to learning, how would you teach kids to code or people to code versus how it's maybe currently taught? So first of all, we, we saw 
that computer science historically emerged from mathematics. And, and this, geeky minds like ours. Um, and so it's really great for us, but for most people, it's really alienating. Because if you're not good in math, you mathematics, you will just avoid even learning it because you will think that you are not really great at that. In reality, uh, it's a coding is much closer to learning French or like Japanese. It's actually language. easier. Um, a friend of mine uh, published a small book, which was basically code as poetry. Yes. Oh, that's interesting. And uh, yeah, Can you share it? Because we actually also wrote a, a tiny book like what oh, is sure. language. Sure, sure. Uh, I'll find yes. it for you. I'll find um, it for you. Matt, and, and I'm not sure if he published it, but he gave it away as a gift. Matt Mullenweg, who's the founder and CEO of Automatic and was one of the lead developers, arguably the lead developer of WordPress. Probably need to combine our thoughts in one book and uh, then publish it. I'll find it for you. Uh, I created, uh, during pandemic, I had some additional time, so I created an interactive uh, Online book. Course where you learn that you can actually first type something in a normal language, description of the world, description and, of the and then product. it can be easily translated by you in, into, in, into coding. coding language, in like Python or C++ or, uh, or Swift. It's literally um, like a translation. First, you, you wrote you, it in your own language, and then you translate it into the code. So the only thing which you need to learn is this a little bit different way to describe the world. And that's what mostly you should learn. You shouldn't learn the words punctuation. And, uh, and punctuation and in uh, orthographics of this language. And if you use this method to learn, then you can actually code in any language. Because it appears that Swift or C++, they, like, they're all the same. They're all interchangeable. Every time when I interview an engineer and this engineer would say that, oh, like, I know only this language, this would be a red flag for me because it means that you don't really understand. And all these languages, like, they're almost the same. Yes, there are nuances, but you almost don't have tasks which actually require you to use these nuances. But if you understand the meta language, and this meta language is really close to real human, natural language, then you can actually code in any language. And that's, that's what we really promote. And uh, we happen to actually teach some people coding who would never think that they can code and it, who would uh, think that uh, mathematics is not there. So like, like moms of two uh, moms, yes. housewives. Yes. Um, like, and they are great. Because they're great in language. And if you're great in language, if you, you can actually learn this language as well. Especially right now, even though, yes, uh, chat GPTs of, of the world, they can code for yourself. But if you know how to code, you will be well off in the next 12, 20 years, like 10, 10 20 years. So for people who are listening, if they are resonating with what you're saying, so for instance, I'm a casualty of mathematics. I was actually very good at math. My brother also very good at math. And we had very different experiences with teachers. So he had a few great teachers and I had one very, very angry kind of abusive teacher. And so I said, no more math for me, even though I was innately quite good at it. He kept going and got PhD into statistics, and you know he's very math capable. But I sort of developed a, I had like an adolescent onset allergy. But I recognize the the beauty and elegance and value of code. I don't think I would ever use it as a profession, but I like the idea of testing myself. But I've always struggled with trying to identify how to start. Right? And I've looked at AI as maybe a way to use an intermediary so I can use natural language to do some type of coding. But how would you suggest to someone who 
is interested, maybe a little nervous, but would like to explore coding. There is a, f- a free book on our Instagram. Like there, there is a link which you can try. It's definitely only the first step. Then you will need to learn more. But at least through the step, our expectations that you will stop being nervous and, and afraid of coding. And right. it would be more well, natural for one. you. That's why uh, the, we wrote the, this book just to, to make it easy because I don't like any other courses because they all like start with syntaxes and etc. And, and it's not the way you, it's not the way you start, start to... It's, it, there are great, they are great courses. It's just like not the way you start because you alienate people who are like, oh, function, what is function? Variable. Well, it's, it's, I don't know anything about coding, but it's it's the same with foreign languages, right? I mean, it's like you see the way that they're taught and it's like, okay, here's a huge table of conjugations, memorize this. And people mm-hmm. are like, uh, no thanks, <laughs> I'm out. Yeah, I'm out. Uh, exactly. Exactly. No, no, like here's a comic book. Like, let's look hey. at some things that you can use and be Immediately make it fun, and then like later we can do the harder stuff. And also, what we found, and that's how we learn how to code, is that usually when you learn language, you first read, not write. You read, <laughs> and you need to read some easy but good written book to learn the language. Same Software engineering is the same. Like we actually we mocked an Instagram application. And we, we wrote, wrote, a, we wrote a, a clean simple code of a simple Instagram because application. Everyone knows what it is and everyone understands how it works. So if you read this code, you understand what And then in the middle of the course, you're just okay, now change. Now change some stuff in the code and you will see the changes in the app. And as you change the parts of the code, you see the changes in the app and you're like, oh. That's how it works. But also it, positive feedback. Uh, yes. And also, if even if you decide not to be an engineer, if even, for example, if you're product person, product manager, or marketing or person. QA. It's really important for you to understand. Otherwise, you won't be able to give properly the um, tasks to engineers. You won't be able to manage engineers. And, and, and you're losing a lot of opportunities. Uh, you will always be tricked by engineers because you will ask them to do something, but they will do something really different if you don't really understand their language. But as soon as you do, it's actually... I wish we had more time and more like eager to actually finish the full course, but it's absolutely not the primary like, goal <laughs> in our like hectic life as well so but i'll link to that in the show notes so that people are interested can at least find it and give it a shot i might do the same thing so ideas exciting ideas exciting ideas could be projects could be missions could be ideas just things that have you both feeling excited and motivated first observations which we have about the world and this observation gave us a different perspective. And this perspective is almost obviously led us to some ideas. And then usually when we have ideas, these ideas exist in us for some years, and then we try to crystallize them in the projects. Product. Um, one of the major observations, uh, which actually started from bankruptcy of a game development studio, we really wanted to understand what was what that. the hell like, happened with financial, financial crisis. crisis. Like what? Um, how we missed it? Uh, we not, not that we missed it. Like we saw that there was like a problem in the real estate market, but everything collapsed around real we, estate. We market. thought that just real estate market will collapse, but everything collapsed. Um, Little did we know about how the financial market works. Yes. Um, <laughs> so in uh, then we dig deeper and get first we got to the same conclusion uh, conclusions 
the that everyone, that everyone like economists derivatives credit default swaps this all lads to this bubble like subprimes people, like, like all this stuff yes people usually like when it's about derivative and uh, credit default swaps Blame everyone the blamed bankers. bankers like oh bankers they 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 made this deregulation they are the problem and that's how it all happens but we usually like every time when we have a statement we check it with data and we decide to understand who was the actual um, beneficiary, beneficiary of, of the credit the, default swaps. Not of their fall, but of them being created and popularized that way. And then we realize that most of the credit default swaps through some vehicles, they were owned and by pension funds. And we're like, what? Because we're from a region where pension funds really... Small like pensioners are really poor people, uh, poor people and uh, you would never think that uh, they own some like multi-trillion dollar huge, yes, huge pensions in the United States yeah. are like what is it, forty trillion, trillion dollars? It's more than assets. the entire publicly traded market combined. You will combine all Apple, Google, Exxon, Walmart. You will yeah, combine whatever. all these companies. It's smaller than. The, the assets of altogether uh, less funds. than the assets of pension funds. So through this prism, we started to learn more and more, like how the hell it happened. And, and it what was a it great mean? invention. How? I mean, the fact that the United States is the greatest economy in the world is because of this. So we realized it's not because of the army, not because of military. Some big chunk of their money, and the money was not just saved, but was invested Invested. into the market. And that's how market got all the capital to grow. Etc. 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 But then realize that unfortunately, as soon as this population not only grew to the amounts that they are the majority of voters, but also they have this enormous financial power. The financial power, which never bigger than the before. banks, the bigger than any other organization. Um, so this financial power and this voting power. Um, Together combined, led to lots of uh, popular political decisions and regulations, which, and regulations which, which was completely false. Uh, what types of things? So one, uh, well, we can give you some uh, some taste of it. Yeah, yeah. For example, when we first came to United States, we learned about student debt, and for you, it's obvious. Like it's United States, everything is commercial. That's why college is, uh, is not free. That's how we got to the student debt. But the student debt, if you will look at the size in before 2000, it was a really a small problem. It's, it's like now like $2 trillion, but before that, it was a much, smaller. much, much, much smaller uh, problems. And what we realized that previously, like in 80s, your tuition when you go to state college would be mostly subsidized by government. Like 90% of your tuition would be subsidized by government. That's how your like, parents were able to, uh, to actually pay for their tuition during the like, summer job, like through, through the summer job. And that's how uh, the, um, the debt never accumulated as much. But in late 80s, beginning of 90s, because of almost uh, bankruptcy state of uh, public pension funds, the governments in different states and in federal level as well made a decision to not only bail out, but also for the future protect these pension funds. For example, in California, the growth of uh, public pension funds, including teachers' funds, guaranteed on a level of 7.8% a year. 
imagine that your <laughs> deficit would be guaranteed as a state budget. And it's not even average. The state budget. It's so not... the subsidies to education went down as a result. Yes. Exactly. Yes. So it's... You can see tons of information become publicly available online. You can online. trace it. You can trace it. It's all there. Promise. Tons of data. But if you like to dig in this data, you can find it. It's just there you can see it you can like all oh, right the money goes into the education and then to the pension to the pension like uh, calspers uh, of uh, in california yes it's uh, public pension funds pension fund of public workers and pension fund of teachers of california no one really realized the um, the size of these funds and no one really realized um, the the gap in between uh, assets and liabilities of this fund. So, so when everyone discusses that the pension funds are underfunded, it's only public, it's only pension, public funds. pension funds like which are underfunded. $5 trillion of a gap. $5 trillion. This is accounting the money which is constantly transferred from subsidies to the, the pension Someone funds. Instead might of subsidies think to that on, this is just public workers. Like they're probably what fifteen percent of workforce in the United States, and yet the size of their pension funds is half of all pension of funds. all pension funds. Even though it's only fifteen percent of, of workforce. Why? Because of a guaranteed seven point eight percent annual growth. Because when the rest of the market goes down, up, down, up. So in this problem, it's not only education. If you look at the police, you know there was this big movement of unfunding police, and we looked at the budgets. And per person in LA, for example, per officer in LA, it's almost like two fifty thousand, two hundred fifty thousand a year. And people was very angry about that. Like, what the hell? Like, we pay you a lot, and like you're not doing your job. The real workers right now, the real officers are right now, are not paid as much, and they get only a tiny portion of it, and most of it goes as a transfer for pension funds for officers who worked thirty years ago. So where does this lead? You guys are looking at the data, and I suppose like a good set of data ideally allows you to have some predictive ability or at least speculation ability. So what do you do with this? Zooming out to a larger picture, what it led to is that through the generations, starting saying from boomers, I mean, I know, I know, this is like a. Uh, false signs about dividing people into these generations, but we can buy people who, batch. who people was born around 50s, yes, so let's say. The boomers, as they were getting into 30 years old on average as a generation, owned something around 21, 23% of national wealth in the United States. That following generation Gen Xs, at the same average age, owned around 7. Us, the millennials, by the same age, owned only less than 3%, like 2.8-ish. And then the trajectory shows us that together with uh, the crisis which happened during the COVID, we can expect that the next generation after us, the Gen Z, going to be in debt by, by the, by average the same returns. average age. On average, as a generation, they're still going to be in debt. So trajectory really bad. And also what this creates that uh, if these young people... Not if, when they realize that the social agreement is not working, social structures will start to fall apart. What do you think are some likely ways that that will show up? We will see like the new wave of unions, protests, people not working, economy slowing down, this stuff. New businesses not created. We can see from the statistics that over the last 10 years, 
the share of the new businesses created in the United States, and in the United States, lots of new businesses created every year. Lots of them never survive the year, but like th that's the case. You create many, many, many businesses, and lots of them die, and the, some of them survive, and that's the economy. So the share of the new businesses created annually in the United States by the people under 30 years old used to be 40% or 45 for, let's say 40 and now 10 years later now it's a 30 it down 10% is the same number of companies being built yeah, just by of, younger and older yes. or is the the it's total just like number more companies the total number is sort of the same it's just like not young people creating them it's people 55 plus creating them that's so, surprising. That's surprising. And know what like I would expect, I never checked the data, but my intuition tells me all those businesses are just real estate. People buying houses and renting them out. So nothing new is created. Just the, the spike in the price in real estate is just because they're buying and renting out. And that, those are the new businesses. So there are a lot of problems, in, but still, like when you talk about the problems, uh, it's really important to also do, at least uh, propose some solutions in what we saw, because we realized that this shift is uh, based on regulations. It's not natural that this uh, shift is happening. It's the regulations, it's the rules which were set by the previous generations, which making this Cause constant this, transfer. Yeah, we realized that if you would um, decipher these regulations, what they did, that they made a preference to equity, to okay. like shares of the companies, etc., compared to the income. So capital gain is taxed less. Like gain. there are a lot of things which actually made the, the huge difference between um, equity, how equity treated by the regulation and by the market, and, and how personal income. Got it, right. The taxation... Everything. The like the, the, everything the pension set. funds can invest in that, but they cannot invest in that, and, and things like that. So really limitations set, not naturally. Uh, if you have all the capital, like the majority of the capital is pension capital, then uh, where it can be invested matters a lot. Sure. So in this term, we realize that the solution which we can test and propose... At least try. ...is to try to convert income individual income to into uh, securities. securities okay so is uh, the, this is this is where the, the lieberman's company comes yes. in first time we did this uh, to ourselves is as a scientist you need to to make the experiments and the experiments first have wish to, more uh, scientists did this uh, yes. yeah you gotta be the first monkey shot into space yes exactly. um, um, <laughs> at less than three g's so even though our income is not stable but uh, if you will build a model uh, around all the founders, all tech founders, and the, uh, the probabilities of successes during the period of time, we can build an income model, like you would do with a company uh, projection, risk weighted, uh, risk adjusted, cash flow projection of an entrepreneur, and then based on this uh, like a projections, value stock. yes, and then the, by based on these projections, you can actually set a price for a company which would have the same type of income. In case if you can form the company, then you can attract investment the same way companies do. And in this case, you will eliminate this bias and vice versa will be supercharged by improving your future. So supercharged, just to, to try to ensure I'm hearing you correctly. So supercharged meaning if you're showing a decent rate of growth, even though you're capital constrained, if you can bring in equity investors who invest in you as if you were a company, 
you can accelerate your growth and potential. And then we can average this as an index, as an index across some cohorts of specific uh, professions or specific cohorts like students, for example, you have higher education or you don't have higher education. How does it change your average income Should in the United States? In you Should we invest in good education? In every kid to have the good higher education for them to increase their uh, individual income and that's where investors get their money back? Or should we just leave it the way it is right now with the loan, which then suppress the wheel to go and, and risk. And that's how young people don't create new businesses and just go find a shitty job. Mm-hmm. So how do you think you incentivize this type of wider adoption and data sharing, right? Cause I can imagine if let's just say we flash forward and this has been widely adopted. Now I can choose, all right, do I want to invest in people who are going getting accounting degrees, or maybe I have a more reliable return on my investment year on year, or do I want to invest in like the growth stocks that have much higher volatility, right? like the entrepreneurs of a certain class or maybe age bracket, where it's going to be a much riskier by volatility measurements investment, but who knows, the gains could be higher. How do you go from a single proof of concept? I have also questions about taxation, just if you're being taxed at an ordinary income level, how you translate that effectively to equity holders who might be your investors, let's just say, but we could tackle any one of those. So it could be like, how do you contend with maybe the handicap of having ordinary income taxed, even though that's presumably what people are investing in on some level, like the discounted cash flow or whatever. And then how do you take this and encourage other people to experiment with it? We start with ourselves as tech entrepreneurs because most of our income comes from building companies and selling companies or like making companies. It's even today. There is no difference whether you registered this company under your name or you registered this company under a holding company name. That's a great point. You guys are actually operating in a very, in an, in an easier case, straightforward case, because most of your gains would be from companies. From companies, therefore likely long-term capital gains. Maybe you have like That's USBS ex- ex- exactly. exclusions, et cetera, versus if you guys were like very high paid lawyers or something, it could we get a lot trickier. Through, yes, we went through uh, that. Example. Thousands of entrepreneurs can actually show on their example that it works for the investors. And then it, if it works for the investors, then we can introduce new regulations which will make it work for the professionals, let's say software engineers, doctors, lawyers, and from there go to even wider groups like students. There need to be more, even more regulations because like kids need to be protected and stuff like this. It all possible to be done. So we're pretty sure that at least some politicians who will see that uh, their voters can benefit out of it and that they can actually live better life and the, the problems like student debts can be solved in, the, in just really short term by the tools like that. We hope that some rules will change. Right now, most of the pension funds are invested in really bubbled, overpriced assets just because it's too much money and not that much of instruments like financial instruments to actually generate the growth. That's why they needed this accreditable swaps, etc. because they need these derivatives because it was just too much money to invest. And so and when if we, they would be and, investing and if in we're people, talking about investing in people, everyone will win. 
like pension funds will win, like people will win. It's just the growth of the economy would be much faster than it's it is likely going to be ten times larger market to invest in when we start investing in individual income as uh, equity. What do you say to people who think about this now? Okay, there's. I'm sure there are cases where this would be very attractive, at least initially, right? So you might have somebody like a very promising YouTuber, they want to build out a studio and hire. I guess they could go out and raise like an equity round. If That's what really... we did. Okay. But with individual income, like in the YouTubers. Mm -hmm. Okay, so how, now, do you think if somebody is really successful that they would try to renegotiate or that they would not try to there renegotiate? There is an example. Uh, it, it's not us, it was before us, there is a fund which invested in college athletes. And they proposed to every college athlete, they took the statistics because it's quite statistical. It's thing. like a money ball um, type of a game. Like they, they calculated sure. their way to understanding how to predict and they how many students they should invest in in order to basically hit have the... a couple of LeBron James. Exactly. And, yes, and they offered every student era like... The same price. Five, 10% uh, investment. We're buying 5-10% of your future income and we pay you the same price, it's $10 million of... So half a million, million, valuation. per 5 to 10%. 70 students, uh, students agreed. Athletes. One of them already netted a 15 years contract for $350 million. So they, they did great with the fund. Yeah, they did pretty well. There is one athlete who tried to challenge this agreement in court. This one athlete challenge. One athlete. Was it the same athlete? No, no, no. This one, there is a great guy, interview of him where he explains that this money actually helped him a best lot. Best decision and in he his would life. Never do another decision. I'm just imagining like he might be cool with it, but I'm thinking about like the managers and the agents who are like, "What the fuck is this?" Um, but he. But, but it worked out. Yes, it, it worked, worked out, out for everyone. But, but there is another athlete who netted like three, four million dollar a year type of contract. He tried to challenge this in the court. And everything in this case is more complicated than with our case. He was 16 when he signed. English wasn't his He's main language, language and, and things like that. So he signed and still court was on the side upheld of investors. The, upheld the agreement. So, How can people find more about this particular example if um, they wanted to Google something? I will send you We can send link. it to me. We'll put it uh, yes. in the show notes. Yes. I think it was in Wall Street Journal, the description of all this case. But also I can send you the links to the court case, because all the court cases, they open so you can see all the arguments. And arguments of the court, they were about the fact that he did well. So it's not about investors taking the last penny of you, I think like that. Uh, so he did well. In, uh, and also investors described all the scenarios. So there is a scenario in the agreement that there is a scenario that you will do well. And in this case, we'll get this amount of money. So they described all but the scenarios. Precisely described. So, Moreover, so definitely, I don't remember what was in their contract, but in our contract, when we... With your investors. With our investors, and when we invest in other we people ourselves, we also invested already in like around a dozen people. We have this... Uh, minimal sum, which minimal we don't touch sum, a year. Which we don't, like, minimal income of yours, before which we are not getting anything. Okay, yeah, there's a hurdle, right? Yeah. There's a hurdle. Like, yeah. we actually aim to have the outliers. Yeah, it's a power law distribution. It's a power law. In most of industries, there is this power law. It's not only in tech. It's no. just in art, in podcasts, in, sure. like, Our in, opinion in athletes, about this, like, we will all win. The market will win. Society will win. Humanity will win from the fact 
that we will use this power law for wider groups of people to invest in them, provide them capital and provide them chance to get a higher education, to try to start a business. So question about your investments. Yes. To the extent that, and we can look at it at least two different ways. So one could be your investors and why they chose to invest in you guys. But since you guys made the decisions about your investments, I'm curious about those people. To what extent did you choose them based on their earning potential and so on versus their potential to be a good ambassador or story for this model? Because they both seem to matter. Yes, right? now we, so, we so care like about a, like a good investment yeah. may have the financial ROI, but there's also Obviously, showcasing. Because we have not that much money to invest in every people we want, we needed to pick those who will be a good story. So definitely we, we look at both. So uh, in terms of investors in us, the first investor who supported us, he did not allow us to back off, like how to say back up. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. And we were almost ready to say like, oh, to give up and say like, okay, we're not doing this. And he's like, no, 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 guys, you have to do this. Like, please. Some lesson. <laughs> he actually had the similar idea when he was out of high school in 2001. He is one of the general partners of Slow Ventures. So he invested in us, but then other prominent names like Mark Andreessen or Chris Dixon or Josh Kushner, they, they also all, now like, own invested a tiny uh, share of uh, the Liebermans. In Liebermans. But we earned it. It did work right away, but we made the first round, then we proved some results, then we made the second round. So like with the startups. So when we invest, for us, definitely... It means a lot that we want to find really great examples because all these examples will affect the future of the idea and uh, this will help others to get access to, to the same type of resources. But what's more um, important for us, the major thing is whether we believe, and this is intuition, if the person will continue building after failing. Yeah, that's a big one. That's a big I mean, one, Because, right? because you're not invest, just investing in one yes, company or one company. Yes, we don't invest in one company. Moreover, we would come and already did this through the last year and a half as we're investing in people. We came to people and said, like, quit it. Drop it. I mean, that's it's not working. worth your time. It's not working. Like, switch to something new. You will never hear about this. Uh, you will like never that, ever uh, hear something like that from the investor who invested in this particular company. <laughs> if I invested in you personally, I am mostly interested in your success. And if you are like locked yourself into something which you like, no, 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 I got to do this. Like, this is failure. It's not failure. It's an attempt. 70% of those attempts are going to end up with zero. So just move on. Start next one. You'll be successful later. With Sam is probably our like best relationship with uh, the investors so ever. Um, so because it can be really open and not just, uh, you know, like uh, showing the good uh, results, but also showing the things struggles. which are not working, struggles, because now we like in a different type of relationship and we really like it. And we actually, we had challenging experiences with, with investors, investors before. <laughs> and so yeah, I don't really think like Sam's going to take you to any basements. Yes. <laughs> Seems unlikely. Uh, exactly. <laughs> so, um, but not even that. I mean, like he's fully supporting us. The same when we invest. So we understand like uh, some of the founders we invest, they already failed with their, their current projects and they started the new one and we were the ones who support them through this process. Some of them um, are coming through like hard times and we would say, go for a sabbatical. Go Rest, to Vipassana. Go to Vipassana. <laughs> like take care of yourself. Like 
you need to be super efficient and you need to be like happy with long your own term, life. You need to be efficient. Long term, this will score us much more than if you're like, will destroy yourself right now. Yes, and, and we already have a really beautiful examples when founders were able, through this freedom, were able to act the way they wouldn't act. And they, they already, it's already gave them results. And uh, like we completely um, enjoy with the passes of all the people who we invested in, and they're all very different, different stories, different individuals, different uh, spheres. Like it's everywhere from YouTuber to like uh, reinventing quantum physics. <laughs> yes, and, and with, with YouTuber Marina, uh, she is actually really also. Awesome example. She is a founder. She had the startup, but to create a marketing vehicle for the startup, uh, she, she created, created a YouTube channel and then this YouTube channel media empire becoming like a much uh, larger thing than, than the, startup. the startup, making like a million plus uh, a year. A year. From, from but a mortgage, family, kids—it's all risk which you like. You wouldn't bet all of your income to the growth. Yes, she was growing fast. But as soon as she got like the understanding that she can use the capital from her future, like literally, this is what we are doing. This is capital from your future. If you are doing as you are doing right now, then clearly you're gonna have that amount of money in the future. So this you can deal- take part of this money, which already almost exists in the current, in the present time, and use it in order to make your future even more successful. So this brings up something that. I wasn't sure we would get to, but I figure I can bring it up. Time so, machine. Is it possible? <laughs> well, well, there's the time machine, but there's also maybe the, and I go back and forth on how I feel about this, but the, I guess we could, you could look to the data if you have such data. Uh, and there is some, it would seem, but the, maybe the over fetishizing of suffering and how that contributes to success or the belief that the more one struggles, the more likely you are to have outsized success because those make for good stories, right? Yeah. Somebody suffers for their whole life and then they show how much they can persevere and then they succeed. But if you look at, you know, some of the examples that you mentioned earlier of like the dropout and then the big company, these are not stories of abject suffering from the earliest stages of childhood generally. So would you say, and this is tying it to what you just said, that by relieving some of those pressures with the mortgage and the kids, you're improving the likelihood of an, a bigger success later, or somebody could certainly look at it and say, well, she's not going to be as hungry. So we have uh, you know, lots to say about this subject. That's why I'm asking. Um, <laughs> a, if we will look at the most successful experiment of all times for the humanity, providing free school education, free school education, Everyone, doesn't matter whether they're a smartest kid in, on the street or not, like every kid gave us more than any other investment which we, which we as a humanity, like infrastructures and stuff. No, providing free education is this, like a capital early on. It, it was a controversial idea like 100 years ago. It's know, an like. expensive <laughs> investment to provide education for every kid. Expensive it, investment. It, it gives, and we scored... A beautiful world gave a lot to us. So providing a little bit more of the same can give us unexpected results. The different perspective is if we look at majority of the unicorns created in the United States and look 
And who were the founders of those companies? And these are companies worth a billion or more. Those are companies worth a billion or more? Or more? A big share of them, like uh, Huge most share. of them are 80%. from upper middle class families. They never struggled as us, you know, like they never went through real like poverty type of situation. Of Losing hunger. all of their money um, on the bank accounts and stuff like this. You know, all the stories about dropouts, dropouts uh, from, from college. college. They you never need- had the student debt. Uh, parents paid for their college and that's how they afforded to the, do the that. The other thing and- that gets left out of those stories is when you drop out of a fancy school, they always let you come back, generally. It's <laughs> yes, not exactly. like you burn the ships behind exactly. you. Exactly. And then the last one. Well, probably not the last one, but the one also the, for the last one for me. Then David will draw something. The struggle will come. It doesn't matter if you have millions of dollars. You will always be struggling because you strive to achieve more. And it's challenging. And... It's not necessary that the struggle is needed, but it will be there. <laughs> yeah. Doesn't matter if you're like rich or not. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, what was this? Uh, rich people also cry. <laughs> 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 not going to wear that t shirt around, but yeah, I mean, that's true. Uh, <laughs> and the challenge comes, but, but you know, like, especially when you start a startup, it, you it, want it to succeed, but then. I mean, also, se- human nature is human nature. Like, 70%. life is suffering. You're going to, it's going to, it's going to find you. Don't worry. Sansara, um, yeah. still yeah, here. Exactly. But, but in general, you know, like, with this argument, we hear a lot that founders should struggle. So we struggled a lot through our founder's path. We were like having no resources yeah. uh, in the yeah. country where investments are always considered as a debt you need to put as a collateral your house and things like that, compared to San Francisco, where there is no collateral, you can have a salary. You know, like in our case, we not, were prohibited not- to have a salary as a founders. <laughs> Yeah. How like, you should, you should have the skin in the game, they said. Well, so, no salary, so, that's hardcore. Uh, so hardcore. And if you compare this experience with Silicon Valley experience, this is a struggle. Not struggle, Not struggle at, all. at all. So most of the successful companies you know would never exist without, without venture, venture capital. capital. Venture capital is money in advance. It's, it's actually not struggling. Struggling is like having the cash flow and, and building your like bootstrap business. Most of the companies are not like that because some levels of achievements, in some, at least in some areas, they require this freedom for you to actually risk and to try things. That's why we believe that some struggle is needed, but we believe that not on the level we have right now. You don't now. have to manufacture it. Yes. And there, there will always be competition. But student loan, which just stops most of uh, young people in the United States from actually taking risks early and to achieve more. And later, is, and later and too. Later I mean, too. I know people in their 30s who still haven't paid off their, you know, and I'm talking, not talking early 30s, like mid, later 30s, especially we if they the go to friends. like an extended graduate school or professional school, they're still paying off student debt. This is unneeded struggle. This is really an optimal, not needed uh, Artificial struggle, because we know that uh, the subsidized money is paid by ta- uh, through taxes by people, but it's just spent on goes, a different stuff. Uh, so we don't believe in this idea that the struggle is needed. And vice versa, we believe that the different uh, local maximum, which would be much higher in terms of the like size of the economy, 
is in the place where we removed some of the struggles, especially those which are artificial in our It's just like trying to imagine what it is 10 times higher, more electricity, more power, more roads, more cars, more education, more whatever, more everything, 10 times more everything. This is when the abundance is probably likely to be close to reality. And that's what we can do in this lo new local maximum. If we just change the perspective on what's worse to invest in shares the, or... the individual income or the undying companies, the companies are dying. On average, they live actually less than, less than uh, human, human beings. Human beings. Like, like so all the statistics is for people in their potential, but all the regulations are supporting for supporting companies and shares. Yes. It's obvious why it's this way, because in the past, we needed this invention of limited liability companies in order to like remove the personal obligations, obligations individual obligations over the business. Like when your ship is sunk in the sea, now you own not only your, all of your money, your house, but your family can be taken and enslaved. Mm -hmm. Like we are far away from this world, like hundreds of years away from this world. So now we can through the innovation innovate. of like limited liability and then the uh, public market. And this is all innovation in, in the way how we see the market and the way we look at the market. But we are ready for the new innovation. And this new innovation can like uplift the economy. So question for you guys, I've, I'll, I'll answer it first too. So what would you, what request would you like to make of my audience? So very diverse audience across many countries, many places. Most of them are interested on some level in technology, not all of them. Uh, well, let's be honest, all humans are interested in technology. They just might not recognize it as technology. Yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> as I said, like limited liability company is a technology. Is a technology, right. <laughs> if uh, we all use tools, that's the reason. <laughs> it's a reason that homo sapiens have done what they've done, good and bad. But my request from, for my audience would be to send me links to some of the biological and biophysics topics that you both discussed earlier. Very interested in all of that, um, including quantum effects in and potentially you know, bird vision or olfaction. All of this is of great interest to me. So people can shoot those to me on Twitter at T Ferris or elsewhere. But what requests would you like to make of my audience or places you'd like to point them? Anything at all? Two things. First, there is a conference about quantum biology in near San Diego in 20th, uh, like 18th of August. All right, here we go, uh, look at that. Like best scientists right now are gathering. It's still like, uh, you know, like still a quite a small group of people. That's why they're really supportive to each other. Even and though they talk. should compete with each other, but they, they actually are quite supportive uh, to each other. We, we will be in the conference as well. But what we would ask is actually first to think who would be those individuals you would invest in? Likely all of us have someone who we like, this guy is going to be very successful. Uh, second is uh, send this information out to us. So if like, you know the great know. person, <laughs> you know. would invest, you would invest, you would invest your money in like, probably we all let us know. Invest. And the third one is think that maybe you should invest in this person as well. You know, like maybe it's your kid. And you're a parent, and maybe you should make an agreement <laughs> and actually invest in the person. Our agreement or is publicly available online. You can all read it 
and check what's the clauses in there. Like you can use this. And that's Liebermans.co? Yes, Liebermans there is a, an agreement there. So I would say that this is a request. So first think about these people you would invest in, send out the information about them to us. So what is just being cognizant of the fact that this is a large audience, so sometimes not good to give out like your private email. <laughs> I've had people do that. I warn them about it. How should people notify you? We have of a form. These? You have a form. Yes, uh, we have a form. And that's it's it. Humanism.is.is. Humanism.is. Humanism.is. Right. And also we communicate quite extensively through Instagram. Usually we, you know, like we I use mean, Instagram. Million, not million people will come. Wait, wait a sec. You, Usually we, we use Instagram not for pictures, but for larger texts in, mm -hmm. in some of and the that's ideas. That's Instagram.com slash Liebermans. Liebermans. L-I-B-E-R-M-A-N-S. Also, same spelling, Liebermans.co. Just telling people. All right. So Instagram, the form at humanism.is. And people can find the agreement On the at Liebermans.co. Liebermans there you uh, have it. What's... The other ask can be, if we truly want to see this world happening, we need to educate the older population and the investors and the grandmas and grandpas who actually are shareholders, stakeholders in the pension funds. We need to educate those people who actually own most of the money in the country to gradually start investing in this type of agreements to at least check to see what's going to happen in five, 10 years from now, if they're going to make more money by investing in individual income rather than uh, private companies, public companies. And in this case, we will be able to have an experiment. And if it's a successful experiment, we will educate country and market to shift towards this. Yes, you can ask your grandma to look where are the pension money of uh, her are invested. And to see that probably some companies we all blame for some um, problems problems in the world, they can be the investors. That actually companies which affect our ecosystem in a bad way, they are not owned by uh, bankers, rich bankers or, or whatever people. They actually most of them, like ninety percent, owned by pension funds. So if we can educate our previous generations that uh, they can they be shareholders the in the problem. <laughs> um, not, they're not the source of the problem. Or they're shareholders they, in the future and they have to choose yes, they, how their money is influencing And they can be that. the shareholder of the future. And this is us. the heritage they can leave, destroying the planet or actually switching. And I would imagine 99.9% .9 of them have no idea that they can control it, it. That they have a choice. Yes, yes. and they have. That's the funniest part. They can log in and they, they can, can log in and change. change. Sit down with your grandma, maybe look at the, their like. Uh, Write an email saying, like, and... I do want some share of my pension funds to be invested, like, on my savings to be invested in the individual's corporations. Or in sustainable like, companies, at least. This education should happen. Otherwise, there is this belief that uh, they did, previous generation did everything right, and just uh, the new generation is uh, fail. But it's really important to educate that some decisions which were made 30 years ago affect us a lot uh, today. And some of this effect can be changed if we change where the money And where is the knowledge invested. about? Yeah, I think a lot of it is uh, a communications problem and an education problem. And that 
net net humans of different generations have more in common than they have different amongst them. But as you pointed out, sometimes the problems aren't obvious and sometimes problems aren't discussed and the options aren't discussed, right? The fact that I didn't know this until, I mean, shockingly recently for me, like 10 years ago, that I could, with retirement accounts, you can invest in privately held companies and all sorts of other things. It is an option. It's just not readily Done. exploited by most people because they don't realize that it's on the menu. So I'm excited to see what people come up with. Maybe someone need to make a startup which actually offers a, a solution for the uh, for the pensioners to do it easier. Yeah. To, to just do the sustainable companies. Like, that's it. <laughs> yeah, some type of interface that makes yes. it less manual, less one-on-one. -on -one. Yeah, yeah. And, because right uh, now it, it is hard. You need to spend some time to, to actually set up your account properly. But, but that's actually, the greatest opportunity. We just need all to talk about this. If you have some challenges believing in this, you A, you can make your own research on trying to understand whether we are right with our data and our points of, of view. B, you can like you can ask a question in, in the form you can like find find a way to reach us out and ask a question. So we will explain how we see this and, and why we believe links. this is actually actually the really, really, really good way of investing your money. Mm -hmm. Well, also, I mean, it, the, the, you know, this conversation has raised so many good questions. I mean, one of which is like, how do you take capital, which is a, you know, it's a currency, like it's something that you can exchange for other things that is currently locked in a somewhat static form that may not be generating much positive value in the world. And how do you liberate that for other faster growing, more dynamic sources of value, not just for the individual, but for the community, for society. And uh, I mean, I think about that a lot. I mean, it's asset allocation, but on sort of a karmically considered level, at least at the collective. And you don't need to spend the money which you need right now. It is money which... Uh, you will they, only get access like in 30 years from so, now. So we made an experiment. When we joined Snap, it was first time in our life when we got 401k. First time in our life employed. Yes. <laughs> uh, yes. We, uh, we never so Snap employed. acquired us. We are employed. We now have 401k. Um, and the experiment was we're getting exactly the same salary, exactly the same savings in the 401k account for of both of us. David uh, changed everything in his account, where the money is allocated to towards more sustainable companies, like companies caring about Between the like Procter and Gamble's and uh, removing the Coca-Colas of the world. Uh, um, yeah, exactly. And the Monsantos of the world, removing them from there and just like shifting the investment towards the companies which are more sustainable. Me, I just left everything as it was by default provided by the Fidelity. So far, I earned 20,000 more than Daniel. The gross is 30% higher than mine. Um, so in instance, it's just... This That's is the funniest the part. So, like, so if you believe that other people believe in the same, is that actually the world is moving in a more sustainable, uh, clean society, you will win financially as well. <laughs> because yeah. if the shift is happening, if you believe in the shifts, then... And it the should happen, otherwise we're all going to die. <laughs> but because it's, and because it's happening, like naturally, logically, it's happening then you should, it should be a no-brainer that we should invest in the companies which actually does this because others will lose in the market game. Yeah, it doesn't, uh, doing right morally doesn't need to mean doing something that is self-destructive. Yes. You can align the incentives. Absolutely. And investing in your kids, in your grandkids is the best 
thing ever. <laughs> right. So I think everybody listening has a good amount to think about and they have options for communicating with you. They can go to Liebermans.co to see examples of the agreements, right? The types of contracts that have this participation and future earnings potential and outcomes of individuals. They can go to humanism.is to fill out a form after they think about which of their friends, which of their peer group, which of their circle they would most invest their own savings into. And they can also consider doing that themselves with the templates that you provided. We've got the Instagram book and course for those interested in exploring coding. And the Instagram is instagram.com slash Liebermans. David, Daniel, thank you so much for taking the time today. It was awesome. Absolute pleasure. Yeah. Pleasure. So much fun to traverse so much ground with you. And for everybody listening, as per usual, we'll have extensive show notes linked to all the resources, everything that was mentioned. And we'll track down a few things here and there, including links to, might have been in the Wall Street Journal, but the sports example. And you can peruse those at your leisure at tim.blog slash podcast. And until next time, be a little bit kinder than is necessary to others, but also to yourself. And as always, thanks for tuning in. Hey guys, this is Tim again. Just one more thing before you take off, and that is Five Bullet Friday. Would you enjoy getting a short email from me every Friday that provides a little fun before the weekend? Between one and a half and two million people subscribe to my free newsletter, my super short newsletter called Five Bullet Friday. Easy to sign up, easy to cancel. It is basically a half page that I send out every Friday to share the coolest things I've found or discovered or have started exploring over that week. It's kind of like my diary of cool things. It often includes articles I'm reading, books I'm reading, albums perhaps, gadgets, gizmos, all sorts of tech tricks and so on that get sent to me by my friends, including a lot of podcast guests. And these strange esoteric things end up in my field and then I test them and then I share them with you. So if that sounds fun, again, it's very short, a little tiny bite of goodness before you head off for the weekend, something to think about. If you'd like to try it out, just go to tim.blog slash Friday, type that into your browser, tim.blog slash Friday, drop in your email and you'll get the very next one. Thanks for listening. This episode is brought to you by Protect's Rest Supplement, a new take on getting deeper and more restorative sleep. I was introduced to this by former Navy SEAL Nick Norris, who has been on this podcast. And as a mutual friend of ours put it to me, it's very annoying that Nick has no physical weaknesses. This is somebody who can climb like a spider. He has incredible abilities as a rock climber. He is incredibly strong and can also run ultra marathons. It's quite something to behold. And this is one of the tools that he uses. So Protect's Rest Supplement helps provide consistent restful sleep without any habit-forming ingredients or groggy side effects. Simply add it to your last glass of water before bed and it goes to work. So I tried this after I mentioned to Nick that I was avoiding melatonin due to next day sluggishness and its possible effects on testicular function. So I was trying to wean myself off of things like that. This rest cocktail has worked wonders and I've made it part of my sleep toolkit. It's literally on a counter about 20 feet from where I'm recording this right now. Pro tip number one, if you have trouble opening the packets, just use scissors, don't make it hard. Pro tip number two, mix the packets with water. Do not skip that step and chug it alone. (laughs) 
<laughs> I've learned from experience. Rest has no added sugars, artificial sweeteners, or artificial ingredients. Protect is veteran-owned, and they make all of their products right here in the USA. Visit protect.com slash Tim to buy Protect Rest, and you will get a free bottle of Clarity with your order. Clarity is a nootropic mushroom blend of lion's mane, reishi, cordyceps, and turkey tail designed to support brain function and mental performance. I have not personally tested Clarity yet, but I'm excited to give it a shot. And check it out. That's protect, that's P-R-O-T-E-K-T dot com slash Tim for a free bottle of Clarity with your purchase of Protect Rest. One more time, P-R-O-T-E-K-T dot com slash Tim. This episode is brought to you by Helix Sleep. Helix Sleep is a premium mattress brand that provides tailored mattresses based on your sleep preferences. Their lineup includes 14 unique mattresses, including a collection of luxury models, a mattress for big and tall sleepers, that's not me, and even a mattress made specifically for kids. They have models with memory foam layers to provide optimal pressure relief if you sleep on your side, as I often do and did last night on one of their beds. Models with more responsive foam to cradle your body for essential support in stomach and back sleeping positions and on and on. They have you covered. So how will you know which Helix mattress works best for you and your body? Take the Helix Sleep Quiz at helixsleep.com slash Tim and find your perfect mattress in less than two minutes. Personally, for the last few years, I've been sleeping on a Helix Midnight Luxe mattress. I also have one of those in the guest bedroom and feedback from friends has always been fantastic. They frequently say it's the best night of sleep they've had in ages. It's something they comment on without any prompting from me whatsoever. Helix mattresses are American made and come with a 10 or 15 year warranty, depending on the model. Your mattress will be shipped straight to your door free of charge. And there's no better way to test out a new mattress than by sleeping on it in your own home. That's why they offer a 100-night risk-free trial. If you decide it's not the best fit, you're welcome to return it for a full refund. Helix has been awarded number one mattress by both GQ and Wired magazines. And now Helix has harnessed years of extensive mattress expertise to bring you a truly elevated sleep experience. Their newest collection of mattresses called Helix Elite includes six different mattress models, each tailored for specific sleep positions and firmness preferences. So you can get exactly what your body needs. Each Helix Elite mattress comes with an extra layer of foam for pressure relief and thousands of extra micro coils for best in class support and durability. Every Helix Elite mattress also comes with a 15 year manufacturer's warranty and the same 100 night trial as the rest of Helix's mattresses. Helix is now running their latest Labor Day sale, which you can take advantage of until September 10th, get 25% off on all mattress orders plus two free pillows. That is very significant savings. That's 25 off because of their Labor Day sale. So check it out. Go to helixsleep.com slash Tim. One more time, helix, H-E-L-I-X, sleep.com slash Tim. With Helix, better sleep starts now.